Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. And we're bringing you a packed show tonight with a Canadian flavour. We're focusing very heavily on the return of the Canadian Premier League. We'll have a little bit of MLS chat at the end of this episode as well. But I want to kick things off with Zach looking at the big announcement... If you listen to our extra podcast, if you're a subscriber, you'll have heard a little bit about this already, but we're going to delve into the Island Games. Not the Island Games that has existed since 1985, but the new Island Games that the CPL are are putting out in PEI. They get underway on Thursday. We're recording this on Friday night, and as of right now, there is no schedule. We just know the opening match is a repeat of Cavalry against Forge, the championship game. This schedule we're expecting to to come out on Monday, where we'll know a little bit more about it. But we're going to bring you a lot of chat about it in this show. We're going to delve into it in part one. Then we're going to have some audio focusing on Pacific FC and FC Edmonton. Then in the next show, we'll hopefully cover some of the other teams as well. But let's just kick things off, Zach, by... Asking how excited you are to see the CPL finally back for season two. It wasn't cancelled. I'm glad they're going to be having a season. I'm kind of glad they're doing it in uh, in this kind of format uh, where it's all kind of in one one exciting tournament. The tournament feels more meaningful than, for example, you know, MLS is back or whatever. Um, I, I did enjoy your question. You asked Clannahan that question right on the call about the name. Yeah, he had no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was like, "This is, oh, it's not going to be a problem. It's not going to be an issue. You can see him writing down, yeah. there's already an Island Games, question mark. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not the most original name, but uh, like, I, I can roll with it. I think, yeah. I think it's got some good meaning to it uh, and should be fun. I, I like it genuinely. It's like I, I think it is a, a good name and it, it's perfect from it. And yeah. But no, uh, yeah, no, I'm really I'm really excited. Uh, you know, the Canadian Premier League. It's yeah, the second season, and uh, I guess my hope, I guess one of my hopes for this, Michael, and one of the things uh, I don't want to be, you know, have, have my hopes too high, but is that it'll it'll uh, there'll be a similar effect to what what we had last year, where we came into it not knowing exactly what to expect, especially mm. in terms of the quality. 
and it was like I think for the most part for most people it was um, maybe not like shocking but maybe not crazy surprising but it was like I think people were at least encouraged by the quality of the play for uh, for the first year league and I guess going into this I'm kind of I kind of have that kind of hope like I'll be a little bit surprised at the quality because um, unlike you know when the Bundesliga returned or some you know some of the other leagues around the world or even MLS is back I don't think the the run-up time for the teams and, and the players and training and stuff has been quite quite the same um, yeah. so I'm not, that, that that that's a little bit concerning but I, 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 I hope we're all pleasantly surprised by the both the quality of the game and the production and uh, even the availability like if there's uh, you know it's sounding like it's going to be on uh, more places than just one soccer for hopefully more of the Canadian masses to engage with. But um, yeah, no, I'm, re- I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it needs to be. We'll, we'll come to that part very, very soon. L- let's look at the, the format of it. So basically, this is the CPL season. This tournament, that's it. Uh, and you said it, it feels a bit more special than MLS is back, and it does because it's the whole season. If MLS is back had been the entire season and that was going to be it, that would have been tremendous. And I think it would have just put so much more on it. Teams would have taken it maybe, I was going to say more seriously. I think teams did take it seriously. But it, you know it's just a one-off tournament. There's going to be more stuff after it, which looks like it's going to get announced next week as well. And we'll touch a little bit about that in part five. But this is the season. There's going to be some Canadian Championship possibly stuff. We'll, we'll look at that in, in this part as well. But it's starting off, all eight teams, they're going to PEI. And as long as there's not a Dallas or Nashville situation, all eight teams should finish round one in PEI. And it's a round robin. Everyone's going to play each other once. And then the top four teams advance to the, the next stage of the tournament. Now, I like that. I think it's a level playing field. It, it's better than just having two teams advancing because it means you can get off to a slow start and you're still in it. It also means it doesn't matter if you finish first. You get nothing really for finishing first. And we're going to hear some of the coaches' thoughts about that later on in the show. But basically, you just have to finish in the top four. And if you can keep your squad fresh for the next part, I think the team that does that and the team that manages the players' mental health best in this bubble environment is going to be the team that is the strongest in in the the group of four round robin that comes up. Yeah, I I, I would agree with you. The, the the way that these coaches go about man management is going to be significant. Um, in the same way we've seen in, in other leagues returning and stuff, like how you how you work your squad, and I mean. A part of that's going to be uh, the five substitutions, right? That mm. is here for this, is here for another year in most places, and I think was likely to be around for a while. Or I guess I think I, I hope it's going to be around for a while. Actually, I think it ch- it's changing things quite a bit um, in a positive way. But yeah, I think the the, the coaches are going to have to um, manage the, the 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 players well, but they're also going to have to manage these games well. You're right because you don't want to go and have like seven games and uh, kind of use up all your, uh, you know, your, uh, all like your, all your kind of starting 11s 
you know, uh, you don't want them, you don't want them the, the tank to run dry after seven yeah. games. Right. Um, so yeah, it is going to be interesting to see how they do that because we talked about it last year, but I think, uh, the sense I have is even more so this year, this, these squads are going to be, uh, some of them are smaller and they're going to be stretched, uh, you know, Very. quite a bit by this. It's a great opportunity for the young guys in, in squads because I think the teams that are going to do well in this tournament are the teams that fully utilise their squad. A lot of it could go down as well to the schedule. So we don't know who's going to be strong. We can probably guess. So if you look at, say, Forge, expect them to be strong again. So if you play, say, Forge in your fourth or fifth game, and you've got a couple of wins under your belt already, it's like, well, we're not expected to win this. We'll maybe rest some guys for this one and then focus on the games that we think we are going to win. So, I mean, that that's one option. You might play Forge and Cavalry, say, in your last two games. And it's like, well, crap, we need to get all our things done early, but then are you burning the players out because you're not resting them? So this is really going to test some of, some of these coaches and and how they do it. And that, to me, is an interesting aspect of this that I think is maybe overlooked right now. We're going to hear from Jeff Paulus and Pamidou Ka chatting about that as well. But then you've got a guy like Tommy Field in that cavalry. He's got that winner's mentality. He wants to win every game. But this is this first stage of this, it's not about winning every game. It's about just getting your team through in the best shape and avoiding injuries. There's not been tons of injuries at MLS's back. I was worried there might be. But these players, it might be even tougher because they've had no pre-season. Some of these guys, we're going to hear from Kevin Alleman later in the show, he only joined his teammates in the middle of July and then he had to quarantine for a bit as well. So there's the chemistry and getting all that kind of stuff done. Lots of interesting storylines in this. You cannot just like ride 11 players or 12 or 13 players in this. You're going to need to use probably like 18 players or, you know, at the very minimum, 16 players are going to need to play like significant roles for you. And, and yeah, at least 16, probably, probably even more than that. But um, it, yeah, it, it, it's exciting. I'm, I'm just excited to see how, how they approach it, you know, because each game, is going to be so in- incredibly meaningful, right? Like when you come to a league and you – was last year, I think they had 28 games or whatever, you know. Uh, every game is worth three points, don't get me wrong. You know, but when, you know, you everyone's playing seven games and you got to finish in the top half, like I, I wonder how many games are actually going to be meaningless in this, you know, maybe mm. two or three in, in the end. But, like, it's uh, – yeah, it's going to be – it's going to be – I think it's going to be quite exciting. Yeah, it, to me, it doesn't feel that there's going to be that many meaningless games. And I think that's important because we, we talked about it a lot last year. From August onwards, a lot of the CPL, it kind of felt it was a bit of a, a lame duck because it was pretty obvious what was going to be happening in, in the championship game. Now, though, you've got this... You could be in it right to the end. And even in the, the next stage of it, because the top four teams are going to advance... Then it's a round robin for the top two then to play in the championship game. So even with that, you've every game's going to have some meaning. You feel in the next round, and then the championship game's just a, a one-off. I think it's a great format. I think they've done very well putting this together, and I think the excitement levels are there. My big concern 
is how many people will actually get to watch it. And you touched on it there a few minutes ago. As of right now, all the games are going to be shown on One Soccer. And when I last checked One Soccer, they'd taken away the monthly option to subscribe, so you can only do the yearly option, which I think is 79.99 now. So that's not ideal. But David Clanahan, we're going to hear from him in the next part, talked about wanting to make sure that there was some linear broadcasters. So your traditional broadcasters, you have to think CBC will be in the mix again because CBC Gem showed the games last year. Obviously, One Soccer are spending a lot of money on producing this. But these games have to be on not even CBC Gem. It has to be on actual TV for people to watch it. Or you're going to have the vast majority of people in Canada having no idea that this tournament is even on. Yeah, so it's great for those who, are, who have One Soccer or going to want to get One Soccer already. It would be great. Uh, like many uh, of these uh, other leagues you can, where you know you can watch everything that's happening, that's great. I agree with you. There needs to be these linear, uh, these you know traditional TV channels that are showing it as well. Um, there was a tweet. I forget who tweeted this, but uh, my understanding is that CBC has already... Uh, put some stuff out or not put some maybe stuff stuff has leaked out from CBC but there's going to be on Saturday so Saturday August 15th uh, I assume these times are Eastern um, uh, at 1300 so one o'clock there's going to be one game and it's a double header at at, um, 1500 so three o'clock Eastern oh yeah it says Eastern Eastern there'll be a second game now it doesn't have the teams uh, Mm. for that but uh, I'm pretty sure we know one of them's Edmonton. Yes, yes, as we'll hear very soon. Yes. Um, uh, so, uh, so, so, yeah. So, CBC sounds like we're going to be one of those partners. It will be interesting to see if TSN also gets on board because I mean, there's a whole bunch of there, there's a whole bunch of things all happening. There's a whole bunch of moving parts, right? That are all happening in the sports world right now. So, when you're TSN. Uh, one of those significant moving parts for them is has always been the Canadian Football League, you know, the the Pigskin uh, League that they play a, a significant role for in terms of broadcast and, and other ways. And um, my understanding, like, is that's not going to be back even in time for its like traditional Labor Day Classic mm. kind of games. And so you you got to think that maybe TSN maybe even might want to get in on this a little bit um, to uh, to have some some live sports to show in addition to whatever else is they're, they're showing right now. You assume they're going to have some MLS and other yeah. stuff. But. I mean, the, um, so, yeah. what they did with the MLS's back tournament was fantastic. It's shown every single game. I appreciated that. I mean, I've criticised them before for having rights to games and not showing them, so I've got to give them plaudits. They showed every single game. That was great. If they can get into this as well, that would be also good. But then you have to think as well, how much did one soccer want to give up? Because they've spent a lot of money and given a lot of money to the league, so they need the subscriptions. I just don't see people paying subscriptions for the, for a tournament. Another way you can get your subscription, though, Zach, is I, I believe Curva Collective have expanded to be nationwide. Is, is that correct? <laughs> oh, man. Um, before we go into this, it was Martin Bailey uh, who who did who tweeted about that that, and apparently he sought out permission from the CBC to tweet that. So, oh. um, in terms of the CBC being involved, uh, yeah, this whole thing with the collective, um, there's some things about it that are understandable and I guess in one sense necessary, but there are some things here that are 
they're really off the mark, right? Mm. Like, um, you know, to me, language is important. It's like semantics are important. Like we, uh, you know, sometimes we can be flipping or whatever, but like words matter in my opinion. Uh, and to call this thing a supporter group is a, is just like kind of, at least at the very minimum, it's tone deaf from, from the, from the, from the league office that, I mean, supporters groups are created and birthed by supporters. They're not made by organizations and companies and sponsors and whatever. And you see when things like that happen, you know, I mean, think about, I know this wasn't a supporter group, but think about what happened, you know, in middle Cascadia when their, their football club tried to have, have one, one of their sponsors organize a TIFO, right? Yeah. That did not, that did not go down well. Um, and, and, and to the, their front office's credit, they, they canceled it after they realized the error they had made and admitted to it, which was, you know, big of them in the end, in one sense. Um, but so this is not a supporters group. Um, to me, this is the league trying to say, how can we make money in a year where, where the ways we're going to make money are limited and are not the same as they were in the past. So in that respect, I don't begrudge them at all. They, sh they really should have used different language and they should have known better. And they have people who are there who I think do know better and either weren't involved or didn't consult them or, or whatever. because. In one sense, they're kind of they're they're trading on the good name of supporter and supporter culture, which I understand why they want to do that. But there are ways to do that without the, without doing it the way they did. Um, on top of that, yeah, you, I mean, you talk about Curva Collective. You know, I I mean, the, the name Collective uh, for Curva Collective, I think, was was fitting because it was about you know this group of people coming together to to do something together. Um, so I'm not super offended. Like, I think it, I, I like the word collective. I think it's good. Yeah. So I'm personally not offended by that. However, uh, more in a, in a CanPL context, there is a group called Saga City Collective in Mississauga that oh, has played yeah. a significant role in trying to bring the Canadian Premier League to Mississauga. Like, very, very significant. A gentleman named Rob Ditta, and he has a, a bunch of people who've worked really, really hard. Um, doing the traditional things, but going above and beyond, especially engaging the politicians in their community uh, and making, uh, making it possible for, for they've made a way they made, they made a path for, for CanPL to go to Mississauga. And um, like, so I think it's like, I, I, I'm, I understand why they would be offended or, or, you know, not, not excited about this. Um, and I know they're not, and I know they're not, you know, talking to Rob, you know, he, you know, just in how they communicate with people, they always communicate with people in, in terms with that, with that language saying, you know, welcome to, to the collective, or it's a part of like how they greet people and how they interact with people and stuff. Uh, and it's a deeply meaningful word for them. So, which I can understand and which I also feel really bad for them in this situation because it, again, it shows that the league doesn't know or doesn't understand or is not taking into account um, people who are already in highly invested in their community and highly invested in making the league successful and making local clubs, clubs successful, in, including making them as much money as possible. And so, you know, I, I think even if they'd called this thing like a, a, a you know, a league wide fan club, which is not language I, I identify with, but it would be more on point with what it is. You know what I mean? And, 
Uh, and I think you would have seen, I know, like I know people in these groups from across the country in, in virtually all of the groups. I know people and I know, they would have been happy to support that. They would have been happy to say, yeah, this is a, this is a good thing. Um, but many of them are frustrated by it. Um, many of the, many of them are, you know, because because this also the league went to them about the concept about the idea, but they. I didn't, was going to ask if if yeah. there had been any consultation or oh, if there was no. a massive surprise to them. No, the league has has done communication well on something, so they they totally talked to them about stuff, but they there was a number of details that were not <laughs> that were not part of those discussions. So when it got actually officially rolled out, uh, they were they were surprised about a few of the elements, including I don't think the name was ever something that they heard about about either. Mm. Um, they're also a little bit concerned, I think, where at least so in terms of like, is this really going to be a one year thing, or is this going to be a thing that kind of you know continues in the future with in in different ways because also for supporters groups um you know having been involved uh you know as uh, you know as deeply as one can in one in one sense like you're uh you want to support your club and you want to do it independently and you want to do it on your own and so you want to uh, have ways to make money to do to support in the ways that you want to support and if you have a league thing that's kind of taken away from that or potentially taking away from that or or causing confusion around who you are and what this league thing is it's not it's not necessarily going to be super helpful especially if it lasts longer than 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 the year so like yeah in one sense i i i understand their desire in this I don't think their their execution was 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 done really well. Now, now most of the most of the supporters I've talked to have essentially said, as opposed to being like, let's boycott this or let's cause a, a big stink about it or like whatever. Some of them have tweeted about it and you know expressed concerns and they've talked to their people and whatever. But most of them are are trying to um, you know look on the bright side of things and just say, okay. Um, the deal that they're offering is in most regards a good deal. And so most of them, I think, are taking the deal and saying, okay, we'll, we'll move forward with this, but we are also going to try and keep the league in check in terms of, you know, how this goes forward. Because one of the things that is, um, that, that this, this whole deal with the collective is, right, you can join the collective. It's a 10 or $20 cheaper if you're already an existing season ticket yeah, holder. Yeah, I think it's 20 bucks cheaper. Yeah, oh, sir, 30 And so you can... Um, you can roll, you, you have the options. Well, you, each club is a little bit different, but basically you can, you can say just take my money for, uh, put it towards next year and stuff. Some clubs have actually said to their supporters, would you be willing to like, let us either keep your money for the season? And, and would you like, I think some clubs have said, will you basically donate your money because you know we're going to take a bath this year? Or will you give us the money, the difference between your season ticket and uh, collective membership thing will you give us the difference and so I think there's some clubs who are just being upfront and honest with their people and are probably gonna help them a little bit maybe not you know might not make a killing but might help them but um, you can do all these kinds of things now the one thing that the future will only in the future will we know how this truly plays out but one of the things that was included as my understanding for all clubs in the league this year was your season ticket included a subscription to one soccer yes now my understanding is that that is no longer the case, even yes. if you put yours to next year. Now, presumably next year, your season ticket package will include it, but maybe not. So that's where most people are saying, hey, I, 
Uh, I'm going to get the one soccer subscription, which I was going to get any, was I was getting was supposed to get or supposed to have or whatever. And I'm getting this, I'm getting a, a kit, a Jersey. Uh, and, and the difference is I'm saving whatever it is, 50 bucks or 70 bucks or 80 bucks or anything, but whatever it is, I'm saving money. So a lot of the people I've talked to are, are choosing to view it as, uh, these are unique times and hopefully I'll get, uh, you know, a free subscription with my season ticket next year. And they're kind of acting in good faith and saying, okay, they're in one sense, I'm getting a deal. So I'm going to take it and try and be supportive because most of the people I know, they want to support the league. Like they, they want, they don't want it to fail. They don't want it to, to have a bad year. They don't want to, they don't want a bad year to slow the progression in terms of other groups coming in, other, other teams coming into the league. And so they want to do all that they can. Right. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see like how that plays out, how many people, you know, take up this offer, how many people just get a subscription to one soccer on on its own. Um, again, I, I'm in that boat of, I want this thing to do well uh, in part selfishly because I want a club in, in, uh, in closer proximity than, than West Hills is. And, um, so yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it'll, it'll do well. I, I've looked at it and it, it's not a bad deal because you get one soccer and you get the Jersey and, but we'll talk a little bit about the, the jerseys in a sec. I think what we'll do, we'll take a little break just now. And then we'll come back with Zach and we'll talk some more CPL and then we'll hear a little bit from the commissioner, David Clannan. And we'll be back with that in the next part. And we're going to be kicking off part two with the first song from August's Artist of the Month here at AFTN. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of warning, especially for those of you listening to the show in headphones or those of you that's maybe driving around and kind of listening to it in your cars. The song that we're going to kick off part two with is by a band that is very well known for having quiet sections of their songs that then just explode into a cacophony of noise. So just to give you the heads up, things are going to start nice and mellow before just exploding. So don't have the volume turned up too high. Are you curious to hear who it is? Well, find out after this. How's it going, guys? I'm Ben Fisk. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the wonderful Mogwai. One of my all-time favourite bands, hailing out of Glasgow, Scotland. And that was a snippet from their epic song, Like Herod, from their debut studio album, Mogwai Young Team, released in 1997. 
And that's a song that they often use as one of their show closers nowadays. The song lasts for just approaching 12 minutes on the album, can go a lot longer live, and it's also not the longest track on that album. Like I said before the break, they're a band that, in their early days in particular, were known to have the formula of like quiet, melodic sound that then explodes into a cacophony of noise, as you heard there. As I mentioned, they are one of my all-time favourite bands. I haven't featured them too much on the show before because the bulk of their stuff, I'd probably say 97, 98% of it, it's all instrumental. They're an instrumental band and sometimes that doesn't always translate well to just have little snippets on the radio for a minute or so. But I thought it's about time we featured them as Artists of the Month and you're going to get four songs from them in August here on the AFTN Soccer Show. So check them out. They've got some great stuff out there. A lot of studio albums. They've got some football connections as well. They did soundtrack the film Zidane, a portrait of a 20th century legend. They're also big Celtic fans. And they have a song that I will feature on Wavelength at some point, maybe this month, named after the Scottish referee Hugh Dallas. So let's get back to some chat about the Canadian Premier League and the Island Games with Zach. And before the break there, we were chatting about the the collective and everything that comes with that. And with the collective membership, you get your subscription to One Soccer and you get the the choice of a home and away jersey, home or away jersey, not both. That would be a great deal if they did that. But a home or away jersey of the, the club of your choice. Now, the jerseys were released, the away jerseys, and I haven't had a chance to, to speak to you about that, Zach. I love the Pacific FC jersey. I would almost be tempted to get the collective thing for the One Soccer subscription and for getting a Pacific FC away jersey. What, what did you make of the jerseys? They're all black, so we're going down the Kiwi route. But I I, I thought, on the whole, they, they were pretty well. I like, I like a black kit, so I, I quite liked them. Well, we, I mean, we've known for like a long time that they were all going to be black. Like that's been kind of in the ether or whatever for quite a while. So I knew that. I didn't know about um, the similarity for the most part in terms of the approach, uh, which is kind of both nice and, but again, maybe too uniform. I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Especially considering they're all the same color. And but some yeah, of the it, same sponsor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, that, that's okay for now. Uh yeah, no, I know. In general, in general, I like them. I, I have not seen. Have you seen? I have not actually. I've not looked. Have you seen uh, what the socks and shorts are supposed to be with these kits? Or is it like literally oh, going to no. be all black? That's the one thing I haven't. I haven't looked into further, so I'm not sure. I assumed, and you know what that does to people, but I assumed they would be black as well. But I hope they're black because otherwise, I think it it will not look great, unless if you had. Pacific black with maybe their kind of teal color, cavalry black with red, York black with green. That might work because you've got the splashes of that in the jerseys. What did, what did you think of York's jersey? Because to me, that was the most hideous one. So, yeah, I pulled them up here now so I can look at them on, on my phone while we're talking. So, I mean, here's the thing about jerseys in general, right? Like, there's it's so subjective, right? Everything yeah. is, is so, so subjective. So, uh, I... You know, just grab Kirk when when I when I saw them when I first got a message with them. I said, "Hey, buddy, let's let's look at these together. Tell me which ones you like, which ones you don't like." 
And, and so my, he's, you know, 11 going on 12. Right. But he, I think York was his favorite. Like he, he just really liked that there was a map on there again. He's 11. <laughs> so maybe yeah. that's, that's how I do it. And again, I, I don't hate, I know it's gotten a lot, a lot of negative reviews in terms of like people looking at it being like, well, one of these is not like the other and is really terrible. But again, I, I spent a significant part of my life living and growing up in the New York region, oh. uh, my former middle school and high school years. So I, I don't hate it, but I can understand why people would hate it. And, and I, I, and I like that. They, I like still, I like their, I like they have Macaron as the, the, the shirt sponsor as well as the shirt maker. I don't, I kind of like that. I like like when Bolton back in the day used to have Reebok, you know, it was their shirt. Yes. Their shirt, their yeah. Made their shirt. The stadium was the Reebok. I, I, I kind of like that, but. I mean, it's, it's true what you're saying about subjective because, like, one of the reasons I like Pacific's best is I have a thing about lighthouses. I love lighthouses. And I also love Pacific's colour scheme. So for me, anything in that blue, and if you add black to it, I, I mean, I'm just looking at it again just now, that just, for me, it pops. And I like how it has Van Isle on the back. So I like that. I like the cavalry one because... The, the mountains and the kind of nod to that and the red and black, I think it, it goes it goes good as well. And I really liked Halifax's one. I like bridges. So, I mean, it, things with structures. I, I'm not a big fan of, and obviously it depends on what you've got in your city, but hey, here's like City Hall or here's a municipal building we're putting on our strip. That isn't great. But it, but it kind of works for Ottawa because it's the parliament, right? Like it's the most, yeah, one of the most iconic buildings in the whole country. So it is, to me, yeah, you have kind of four of them are in one category. You know, you have Valor, Ottawa, Pacific, and Halifax. They all ha are similar styled, right? They all have these like monuments on kind of one side or most of the kit. It's, it's really, it is not, not weird, but. The Halifax and Pacific, again, in part because they're both sponsored by Volkswagen, their kits look so similar, yeah. right? They just put the lighthouse on, they put the thing on, the, the emphasis is on the opposite side, but um, yeah. yeah. Like, I, but, but I tweeted out that they were my two favorites. Someone replied saying, is that because they're both identical? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so like, yeah, I, I, I appreciate Pacifics. I don't hate, like I said, I don't hate Yorks. I'm just looking at Edmonton's again. And I like Edmonton's. I didn't at first. I like it when you zoom into it. From a distance, it looks to me it's more like the galaxy. It's like you're focusing on a, a, the sky and the cluster as opposed to whatever weird L-shaped building is in the bottom of the kit. I like Edmonton's. I'm, I mean, it's too bad their, their, their club badge is so terrible. But like, I, I, like, I, like, that, I like that kit. Uh, I agree with you on Cavalry. They once again have a really, really quality kit. And I actually like uh, Forges. I like, I don't know what that is supposed to be exactly, um, but I like it. Yeah. What I'm is just, that supposed to be? Is that the end of a hammer? Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. They, they're like hammering the whole hammer thing into the ground. I, I think York 9 should have had Yorkie back on it, but like bringing back from the day. They just they, they just killed like a memorial shirt, a black memorial yeah. shirt for you. But no, I like I, I I like them, and I think I think they should um, help them move move kits. Uh, like I think they these will yeah. sell. 
I, I definitely think so. I, I've just got it up. Forge, it's Hamilton's Gore Park Fountain. On an angle? Like on a, I guess. On it says it, it's a well-known hub for the city's vibrant arts scene. Well, that doesn't help me like it more, but I still think it's an, it looks nice. Yeah, it, I, it, to me, it looks more like it's some kind of flame, like an Olympic flame kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But so then, yeah, again, so let's, can we, okay, can we take a moment and rank them? Okay. Okay, so you got York is last, and you have, is it Pacific first? I've got Pacific first, and then yeah. I probably actually have Cavalry's as second. Yeah. And then I've got Halifax third. Okay. Uh, Valor's has actually grown in me, and I'm, I possibly would even put Valor's above Halifax's now. And then York's my least favorite, and then my second least favorite is Forge. Oh no, I've missed Athletico Ottawa. How, how could I forget about Ottawa? Yeah, I'd have Ottawa, Forge, York as my bottom three. Okay, so for me. I, it's a toss up. Uh, I think the Alberta ones are the two nicest, to be honest. So I'm going to go with Cavalry. Uh, Cavalry overall, I think is better. Then I'll say Edmonton number two. I might've said the opposite with my son. Um, then I think I'm going to go with, uh, if you hadn't told me it was a fountain, I probably for sure would went with Forge. <laughs> well, let's go Forge. And then I'll, I'll put, I'll put, um, I'll put uh, Pacific fourth just because I like I, I like the I like the club, and then I'm going to put York next because it's different compared to the others, and I don't hate it, even though I understand why it's hated. And then after that, I'm going to go uh, Ottawa, Halifax, and Valor's the basement dwellers for me. The the thing sure we'll get it, lots of comments about how how wrong we are, but yeah, oh yeah, please actually let us know. What, what you think of the, the kit so we've got some folks feedback on Twitter we'd love to hear a lot more the thing that I like about Edmonton's kit that it's growing on me now the more that I'm staring at it as we're talking I like the Swoop sponsor just because I like their logo and then because it's kind of like space and sky and the planes in the sky that kind of actually works a bit for me now and now the more that I'm looking at Cavalry's I'm thinking those mountains look kind of shitty. <laughs> yeah, I think those can well, those can go opposite. I I, I think the mountains are nice. Um, it'll, here's the thing though, it'll be interesting to see them in person, right? Because yeah, kits look one way in a release and whatever, but you got to see them and feel them and all that kind of stuff. Um, though, I think we talked about before, right? It's kind of awkward if you hear an FC Edmonton supporter. It's kind of awkward that your team's new sponsor is the is the budget airline of your main rivals, um, you know, ma- ma- yeah. their airline is the, is the big one and yours is, yeah, that's, I, 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 I'm not, I was, I'm not a big fan or I wasn't a big fan of, uh, what's his name? Ball, Jay Ball in Edmonton. But I think if Jay Ball was there, I don't think he would have let that happen. <laughs> Hopefully they can get some more sponsors. So everyone's got a, a unique sponsor at some point. Maybe- Two more, baby. Yeah, bring in, I don't know, Santander for Atletico Ottawa or, or something, the Spanish bank. But I mean, they're, they're good kits. I like the box that they come in as well. I've only seen the Edmonton one, but it looks quite a fancy little box. I, I'm going to get the Pacific one. I probably won't get the collective 
thing. I'll probably do my Scottish thing and wait to the end of the season when the kits are half price and then pick up one of the, the Pacific ones then. But talking of the collective, to me, it kind of, it's a bit like a union. A collective, a, a union, which is a little bit surprising then that the Canadian Players Union still has not been recognised by the the CPL. We'll delve into that in a sec. I want to bring you some audio now from the conference call that David Clanahan, the commissioner of the league, had with some selected media just to announce the, the tournament starting. So anyone that's an extra subscriber got the full audio for this, so check that out. If you haven't heard it, I'm just going to bring you a couple of bits just about the tournament, the union and the broadcasting deal. Let's hear from David Clanahan. We are the league. Uh, my question is concerning, you know, I heard you say in the announcement today, this is our season. Um, Soccer Canada announced a month and a half ago that there would be a Canadian championship. Does this mean that uh, CPL teams will not part- be participating in a, a potential Canadian championship this year? Uh, what can you tell us about that? And have you considered maybe making the winner of this tournament become, say, the fourth team that could participate in a potential Canadian championship? Yeah, thanks for the question, Jeremy. No, actually, uh, we are we're talking about our regular season. So if there is a Canadian championship this year, and, and, and I, I'm, I hope, like every other Canadian that there is, all of our teams will participate in that. There's no doubt. But I don't, you know, it's not it's not my my purvey to say where, how that's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And that's why I didn't mention it. But but thanks for, for clarifying that or allowing me to clarify it. David, does the league have any plans to recognize the PFA can, the players union before this uh, season takes place? No, I, 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 at this point, Josh, Joshua, the um, we've had, you know, we've had obviously communication with the, with the, uh, the um, proposed uh, um, PFA can um, the uh, we've been dealing directly with the players um, on this because of this season. It's a, we're in a very different time with COVID-19. I mean, the whole world's been turned upside down. Um, so we, we've been dealing directly with the players. Our players have been, uh, have been absolutely unanimous in their support for this. And at the end of the day, they want to play. So they want to play soccer. That's the bottom line. And, and so we're, we're, we're where we need to be. We've been very uh, transparent with everything that's, that, that's gone on. We've gone to them at the appropriate time uh, all, uh, in each and every situation. And yeah, it's, and, 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 and they've been great about it. And I, and I will say this, our, our players who, you know, when you look at our league, the average age is, is just about 23 and a half to 24 years of age. They have been nothing but true professionals. I've been, you know, the, not, not only myself, but the entire league is uh, an ownership group has been uh, extremely impressed with the way they've, uh, they have conducted themselves and uh, with the quality input that they've given uh, as we put this together. These are not things you can do in the public eye, obviously, but these are things that have to happen in order to make these things uh, go forward. So these types of events go forward. So we're, we're very pleased with where we are at this point in time. All these games are going to be on one soccer. Are they going to be shown anywhere else? Last year we saw them on CBC, some of them. Um, are they going to be anywhere else? Yes, thanks for asking that. We are actually talking to two of the linear broadcasters in Canada right now. I don't want to spoil the spoil it or put any undue pressure on them, but uh, we've got great interest to show uh, quite a number of the games on linear broadcast TV. So that that'll be exciting. That's a that's an announcement for another day. So stay tuned. 
but we're uh, but but yes, uh, that, that's that's part of the plan. Okay, thank you. And then just to follow up, um, so when will the schedule be released, and how many games per day are we thinking? Like? So uh, the schedule released uh, will be released in the next five days. As, as I said, this is there's going to be a lot of information coming at you, uh, literally almost on a daily basis uh, as we move forward. So that schedule will come out, and the get, number of games per day are going to vary. But uh, but again, uh, some 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 days might see some double headers. Others may may say you may see single uh, single games, but but it's going to be spaced out over those. Uh, uh, the stages that we've, we've set up, either the first stage round robin, which happens uh, is 28 games, then, the, then the, uh, the second stage, group stage, and then obviously the final. Just wanted to ask about the name of the tournament. There is already a long-established Island Games tournament. Do you foresee any issues around that? Uh, I think, yeah, I, th- I think it's we're, we're, us- we're, we're using the name Island Games because of paying respect for Prince Edward Island. So I, I don't, I don't think there's a, I don't think it's something that's a problem for us. David Clanahan there talking uh, about a few things to do with the Island Games and just the league in general. So the Union Zach has still not been recognised. He kind of basically said, no, we're not going to recognise it by this tournament. It doesn't sound like he still feels that they need to and they negotiated directly with the players. I I spoke about this in the extra podcast, but just to, to get your quick thoughts on it, the longer this drags on, it's going to be worse for the league because the union is going to take it to the courts and you can't see them not winning the, the right to be recognised. Yeah, I I think the league is just going to try and write out for 2020, maybe yeah. into early 2021, write out the whole, hey, we, we, we can't, we can't um, deal with this right now because of the whole pandemic and all the things going on. I... I I find it hard to believe that by whatever 2021 is going to look for like for them, they won't, they won't have recognized this. Cause you're right. I don't think the players will, will stand for the, they're also battling like uh, a bit of a perception problem. Right. Mm-hmm. And we, I think we've talked about it before. When you talk about Clanahan is he's known one of the biggest things he's known for is working for Tim Hortons. And one of the things he's known for and working at Tim Hortons is not allowing their workers to have a union, even though they desired one is my understanding. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but um, so when you when you have that kind of dynamic going on, it just it does not look good, right? So whether or not someone wants something or have liked it in the past or wanted for their their business setup in the past or not, I think their Clanahan and the league is going to have to come to a place where they say, yeah, like we we need we need to do this. This needs to happen. Um, because you know, when you talk to people in the league, they'll tell you, yeah, it needs to happen, but kind of like in the, in the right timing and stuff. And when you listen to Marcel, like you've, you know, interviewed him before and, and shared his thoughts before, they're not looking for like crazy money. Like most no. of these players are not here to make money. They're here to have, to be a professional and to develop 
and to hopefully go on to bigger money if they can in, in bigger leagues around the world in the long term. Well, we're, we're going to hear from Kevin Allerman later in the show, and he actually talks about he's taken a big pay cut to come to the CPL, and he's done that because he wants to be in Canada and he wants to be in the Canadian national team mix again. Right. So, yeah, I, I really hope it... I guess my hope is that this doesn't get ugly and become mm-hmm. something that takes away from uh, the positives that we've seen uh, for this league in the last, whatever it is, two years or two plus years since it things kind of got going. Well, yeah, the perception is good, as is the goodwill. You need to have it high. Going into year two, it was still high. I think it is still high. This tournament is going to... I can't see it not being a success. That That's the thing. I had doubts about MLS is back. I've loved it. It's been a big success. I, I think the league deserves plaudits for that. I still don't think it was a great thing to have it in Florida with everything that was going into build-up of it. But I'll eat my words. They pulled it off and it's been a very enjoyable tournament. I think this will be a very enjoyable tournament. Going into year three, though, you, you start to to lose the the goodwill that you get in the first two years of a, of a league. And the fans are going to start to demand more. There's already been some disgruntlement uh, around the collective thing, as we've talked about, and then the union thing. And if if you've got the fans not fully buying into this league, it's hard to see it working. Because right now, it's the hardcore that's keeping this afloat because they're not getting out with their broadcasting to the to the masses. So I, I hope things don't start to go tits up for the league in that regard, perception-wise. I think everyone wanted the CPL to be very different from MLS, but I think football leagues around the world, they're all governed by the same thing, and it's about making money and being sustainable, and there's not a lot of differences between the CPL and MLS, I think. Yeah, I mean, going back to the collective thing, like, again, a number of people, uh, sorry, in at least a couple of places around the league, people from their clubs have gone to their supporters and say, yeah, look, this is, we, we know this is, was not exactly how it should have been. And kind of, that's very different than MLS and MLS for nose and MLS. Oh HG. yeah, I guess. Yeah. You know, it takes, it takes, it takes you taking legal action for, you know, Don Garber to say, Oh yeah, uh, we're sorry. We did that wrong. You know, um, you know, thinking about the Cascadia cup uh, trademarking as a, as an example. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I too hope this goes well. Uh, I'm really one of the things I'm excited about it is the second group stage um, just because I think one it's different Two, it reminds me of like uh, when I was getting into football you know in the 90s or and yeah especially in the 90s I remember like studying the old world cups and being like what the heck there was more than one group stage oh, at a world yes. cup yes yeah uh, the 82 so one it, I remember yeah so it reminds me of that a, a little bit even though I didn't experience those tournaments but it reminds me of how football maybe used to be uh, in some sense. And so I think it could be interesting. Again, I'm not sure how they're going to structure those games. Like if they're going to be pre um, set up or they're going to wait and see who's in it and then set them up, you know, based on who they, so, so they can keep the games as meaningful as possible in that group stage. But um, just a different format, I think um, should make things more interesting as opposed to had they gone to, you know, two semifinals and, and right into a final. So. Um, yeah, I like that. I, I, I'm, I think that would have been a bad way of doing it. Because this is the whole season. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, do you think it's a level playing field just now? Or do you think teams like Forge, Cavalry, I know Cavalry's lost some players, but they, they've made some additions. They've added Marcus Haber, for example. They've like brought a lot of young guys up from Calgary Foothills that they're going to take to the tournament. Forge lost Borges, but they're strong. York Nines made some strong additions as well, I feel. They could really be in the mix. FC Edmonton, as we, we're going to hear, they fancy their chances. Pacific FC's made some interesting additions as well. You've got Pamadou Ka there, who's really his first taste of being a, an actual manager, and we don't really know what he's going to bring to the team. But when, when we chat with him later in the show, he talks about the kind of football that he wants to play. And it, it's you'd think build on defence first, but he knows it's about scoring goals and he wants to play attacking football. So I think this is a wide open tournament and it's up for, for grabs. Yeah. I mean, it, part of it comes with the fact that there are still, I mean, there's only eight teams, right? Which I'm thankful there's not seven. Um, I'm thankful yeah. they're you know, progressing in that way. But um, honestly, when, you, when, I, when I think about each of these teams, there's something I'm really excited about or something I'm really excited to see. I mean, let's go, well, let's go west, uh, east coast to west coast. Halifax, I'm excited to see mm. how Stephen Hart does in his second year. Yeah, it's been a um, complete rebuild there. Exactly. And so I'm excited to see what he does. Uh, my focus, is, I think, is a little bit on Stephen Hart there. Next, I guess, we go to Ottawa. I mean, just excited to see how a new organization is going to be run there. And obviously, you and I and, and many others here are excited to see what this will mean for Ben Fisk and yeah. how, how, what role he's going to play in that squad. And will you know, hopefully he'll be, I mean, cause last year he wasn't always fully physically fit. Hopefully he's physically fit and he can um, dominate games or, you know, make his marking games and lead, lead their team. Um, York, obviously everyone's excited to see what's going to happen with the new mascot. And so we'll see how things mm-hmm. go there. Um, Does with, he have to go into quarantine? Will he be allowed? That's all these questions. Yeah. It's quarantine in the Maritimes, right? Um, and, uh, for, for just like, will they be able to repeat? Mm. Um, in in, uh, in Valor, in Winnipeg, I'm excited at, at the potential for uh, Robin Gale to have these guys, again, we, that we know well, uh, playing potentially as his wingers or fullbacks in – uh, Brett Levi's and and uh, Fraser Aird. I'm excited to see what's going to happen with it. Are they going to be able to use these experienced players to um, to define or to ignite their attack? Um, you go to Edmonton. Yeah, you got Kevin Allman on the show. I think the triumphant of Kevin Allman, the return of the returning Hanson Boakai and Easton Ungaro. Like how how is Paulus going to use those three to have a, a, a dynamic attack? Cavalry, uh, Tommy Wilden is fascinating to watch as a coach and his approach and his tactics and stuff. But yeah, you mentioned Marcus Haber. Will this kind of reignite things for him? Uh, Because I think think when you think about Pacific last year, I think there's, I can understand beyond the injury, some reasons why Marcus wouldn't be as successful as he could be. I think part of that might be on Marcus, but part of that might have been on maybe the coaching, the the coach's yeah. approach or the setup. There was some big failings coaching-wise at, at Pacific last year. Yeah. And then Pacific, yeah, Paul Murakao, love the, love the guy. Looking forward to him. But then also, yeah, like, 
let me just to name one, like Bustos. Yeah. Will Bustos, um, Will Bustos will be able to go in and, and be who he can be week, uh, I mean, week in, week out, game in, game out in this short tournament. Will he be, because uh, he is the, has the potential to like lead this team. And so how will he perform? And the dynamic he'll have with his teammates. I'm ex- I'm interested to see how that's all going to... Yeah, gonna... it could be kind of interesting in, in a few regards. Like, Tern Campbell there as well. It's like, can he follow up what he did last season? Because last season, we saw the Tern Campbell that we'd seen when he was in the residency, but he couldn't do it when he was with WFC too. But then he didn't get the run in the team. He didn't have the quality around him, perhaps. So many questions. With Haber gone too, he is like the man, right? Like yeah. he is going, they're going to be relying on him. So that also, I think, be at least a different dynamic to when he started playing, you know, uh, last year. I mean, like just talking to you in these first two parts, and it was only going to be the one part, but I've just, I, it, I just got so excited talking about the tournament. I'm like buzzing for it just now. I just wish it was starting because there's just, there's so many questions and there's so many guys that we know and we've followed them through the ranks. And when I speak to Pa, we speak about Boosty and like what he could be and what he hasn't been and why he maybe hasn't been. So you'll be you'll be intrigued to, to hear about that. So yeah, totally excited about this tournament. It is the only thing that's happening for the CPL. After this tournament, there are rumours, and David Clanahan talked a little bit there about the Canadian Championship. The Canadian Championship is going ahead. That's definite. What it's going to look like, we're not sure, because I've heard two different rumours. One is that the three MLS teams will go and join, possibly in PEI, and be part of a, a kind of tournament thing there. But the other thing that we've heard is because the Canadian teams are going to be playing each other in a never-ending series of matches over the next six weeks, whoever has the best record out of those games is then going to play whoever wins a, a second CPL tournament and they'll play for the right to represent Canada in the Champions League next year. I mean, what, what's your thoughts on that, Zach? Ah, uh, man. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I highly value the Voyager's Cup, uh, again, because it's, it's something that is so highly connected to the supporter culture in Canada and so many... Uh, individual supporters who have given like so much over the years uh, the like have shaped things for, 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 you know, for people, uh, you, you know, in the supporter world, you like, you know, there's the, the, the well-known phrase, you know, you're standing on the shoulders of giants and like, even in Canada, like, you know, some of these people who have been involved in, 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 in setting up things like the Voyager's cup and, and locally the, the Cascadia cup, like, yeah, the, you, you owe them a lot of gratitude for, what they did and their foresight and all that kind of stuff. So the Voyager's cup will always be meaningful, really meaningful to me. Um, I, I really hope it doesn't become just, uh, you know, the best of those three MLS teams versus the, the winner of the, of this year's um, Canadian premier league. I, I think that would minimize it too much. I, I could probably, you know, get over it and understand again, unique, unique year. Yeah. We're in crazy times. Like, but, Ideally, um, I would like to see all the Canadian Premier League teams and the MLS teams. And I think, is everyone else ruled out? 
Yes, the, the League One Ontario and the Quebec team were not going to be in it, no matter what happens. Just they, they can't be part of it. So, so I like I would love to see um, all those you know those eleven teams in some way, shape, or form be able to to have some kind of competition between them um, for the Voyagers Cup with as many you know uh, not as many games as possible, a single elimination knockout tournament i know 11 does not make that happen easily you have to do some buys or alterations or or whatever and you don't have time there's no time for group state i don't think there's much time for group stages and all that i mean logistically it's a nightmare because if you're saying you're moving teams into the bubble at the end of this they have to quarantine if it's not in a bubble how safe is that Clearly safer than traveling around the US right now, but that's a whole other thing that we'll, we'll come to later. But logistically, it's tough. I can see why they would want to just have an MLS team via CPL team. What happens if Forge win the whole thing? They're then in the CONCACAF Champions League and the CONCACAF League. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> They've got two shots, two bites of the cherry. Want to remember them, what they were called? They control themselves. <laughs> oh, that would be that would be Pete Concacaf. I'm sorry. That's, um, no, I I also hope that um, that it yeah it's something more more meaningful than just a you know a one off final or whatever. I, I would not be opposed to the to the if it can work out um, that them the mls teams joining the the cpl teams at the end on pei however yeah. as you know from the being on the conference call there's some in pei maybe who aren't super excited that you know a few hundred uh people are invading their island when local people or people who have residencies there can't can't return there right now yeah. but yeah that, so I, that was a surprise to me when i heard that but yeah, i, I mean the the thing which I'd been hearing wasn't that whoever won the island games was going to be the representative. It was they were going to have a separate tournament, like a knockout tournament. Now, the 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 thing that I that I'm thinking about that is what happens to the four teams that haven't made it to the round two? Are they then meant to just hang around PEI, or do they play each other to then play someone else? It's just it's a giant mess by this point. Yeah, well, we don't have the schedule, but my understanding is is the CPL, <clears throat> the CPL uh, tournament in PEI is supposed to be thirty nine days, and mm-hmm. I think from the thirteenth to the September twentieth or something, something around that. Which would tie into when the Whitecaps, TFC, and Montreal are meant to be in their never ending thing. I mean, you could have the four teams that don't make it to the the group stage; they play each other in a round robin. Whoever wins that moves on into the Voyager's Cup along with the four teams that made it to round two. So there's five. Then you bring in your three MLS teams. Then you've got eight. Then you can have a kind of straightforward knockout draw. I like that. There are ways to do it. Um, I just, Yeah, I, I hope it's more meaningful than just, yeah, just the best of the MLS versus the best of the CPL. Yeah. Because you really like, I really, you really like to see in a kind of a true cup competition format, like we've talked about many times in the past. You like to see uh, CPL teams have more than one CPL team potentially have 
you know, chances at knocking off an MLS team, right? You don't want MLS teams like just in the semifinals or something like it's been yeah. in the past. Nothing for me is better than cup football when it's done properly. When you've got farcical things like the Champions League where you're not even a champion, that devalues it. I like the knockout stages. That's exciting. I can't be arsed with group stages with people that's not really champions and it's just all about money. But if you you have a proper cup competition with knockout rounds, I think that's probably why I've enjoyed MLS's back so much. Because having it so much of it as a knockout tournament, it was great. The games were exciting. Teams went for it. You got penalty shootouts. You had underdogs going through. Hopefully we can get something like that. There's talk that they are going to do something with the US Open Cup as well. So that might be the window that would allow the MLS teams to do it before they potentially have to relocate to the US. Anything else you want to say about the, the Island Games before we wrap this up, Zach? I just encourage to, you know, our listeners, I think most of our listeners are, are, are on some level wanting to watch it anyways, but if you were on the fence or, you, you know, you weren't too sure or whatever, I hope you'll choose to watch it, whether that's on One Soccer or when it's on, you know, CBC or wherever it's going to be on. Um, yeah, I hope I hope people will watch this because um, I think it's going to be something special. I'm so looking forward to it. We're going to delve a lot more into it in the next couple of parts of this show. But that's it for me chatting to Zach. Just before we go, though, Zach, let us know where everyone can find you online. You can find me occasionally tweeting at Zachary AM. That's great. Always a pleasure chatting to you, Zach. Really enjoyed this. As I said, it was meant to just be one part, but it's just got me so enthused for the, the tournament. And maybe we can do some watch-alongs or maybe we can do some post-game stuff on YouTube because I enjoyed doing that with, with you and Steve as well. And maybe get some guys involved from elsewhere, whatever, whatever team we're covering. Let's make that happen. But we're going to be... A lot more CPL chat coming up. We're going to be speaking to Jeff Paulus and Kevin Alleman from FC Edmonton. But up next after the break, it's a man we talked about there. He's leading Pacific FC for the first time, Pamaduka. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Marcel de Jong and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Two parts of lager and a packet of crisp, please. Two parts of lager and a packet of crisp, please. I'll have two parts of lager and a packet of crisp, please. I'll have some pickled onions and a little bit of cheese, please. Thank you. Uh, two parts of lager and a packet of crisp, please. Uh, two parts of lager and a packet of crisp, please. Two parts of lager and a packet of crisp, please. And I've got all the right money and all that, please. Thank you. Wait, two parts of lager and a packet of crisp, please. Hey, two parts of lager and a packet of crisp, please. Two parts of lager and a packet of crisp, please. I've been here half hour and I'm getting very thirsty. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part is the first of tonight's Three of a Kind songs. For anyone that hasn't listened to the show before, 
what we do at the starts of parts 3, 4 and 5 is play a song. And each song is connected in some way. Your job is to try and A, work out what the link is, and B, if you've worked it out by the end of the first two songs, try and guess what the third song might be. That was the first of tonight's selections, as I mentioned. Going way back to 1980 with this one, one of my all-time favourite punk bands, Splodginess Abounds, with their single Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisps, Please, that reached number seven in the UK charts and is taken from their eponymous debut album, Splodginess Abounds. What do you think the link might be? Have a think about that, and we'll be back with the second selection to kick off part four. So let's get back to the Canadian Premier League chat now. And we're going to bring you the first of our feature interviews in this week's show. We're heading over to the island to catch up with Pacific FC head coach Pamadou Ka. The 40-year-old former Whitecaps player took over Pacific FC in January this year. Those seem like such different times now than from when he was first appointed and and it's been a very difficult first five or six months in charge for Pa, as I'm sure you can imagine, trying to balance everything with the pandemic, build the team, sign players, get some chemistry going, not sure what's happening with the season, will it be back, when will it be back, where will they be going? We at least now have some answers and we know that the Island Games tournament in PI is kicking off this week. So I got a chance to sit down for a a chat with Pa just before they flew off to PEI to look at joining Pacific, what he's hoping from the team, what kind of coach he's going to be and a lot more besides. And just a little listener advisory here. It was not a great line between Vancouver and the island. So it is a little bit difficult to hear a couple of little bits of the interview, particularly in the beginning. Try to fix the sound the best I could. But as the interview goes on, it, it does become a lot clearer. Also, Pa was on childminding duty for his kids, so it does get a little bit noisy at times in the background. But hey, that's parenting. What can you do? So without any further ado, make yourself your favourite hot beverage, sit back, grab a chocolate digestive and enjoy my chat with Pamadou Carr. I'd been kind of hoping to catch up with you for for a while, but um, you went back to Holland. I went back to Scotland, and then COVID hit. So I haven't had a haven't had a chance to even come over to training like I planned. But how, how's the the last couple of of months been for you? Just like both personally and and professionally, it's obviously not anything anyone's gone through. But I mean, how how have you found the last couple of months? Job give you a little more time to, to be able to 
how many people that actually lost their life in COVID. And, um, but also thank you to the healthcare system in Canada and everybody around the world working there. So to be able to stop this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it's been a tough time and it's it's hard to, to get back to kind of normal life and, and football and, and stuff like that. But, I mean, obviously the, the Island Games are coming up. You're heading off to, to PEI, I, I guess, tomorrow. So I, are you just itching to, to get back on the on the football pitch and actually coaching this team now? Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, for me, it's, it's obviously that way you are a sportman and Sport is in everybody's uh, daily life, no matter what the sport is sport. And sport has been on hold due to the pandemic. And I think people now want to, and are eager very much to see sports. And for CPL, I think it's it's very good that they're back on the map because it is the second year. So it's still important that people watch games and see it. And for my players, I mean, they've done everything that we've asked them to do during during the pandemic, you know, so, so prior to that, it's been, you know, we have to witness something like pandemic, having the girl, having the game taken away from them, I have no perspective to enjoy it more and understand it, yeah. As quick as you there, can also be taken away from you, and I think that part showed more appreciation but they've been top notch they've been impressive to work with every single player so they're all itching and I'm itching for them so I'm looking forward to see them play games I mean the the last couple of years you've been kind of learning the the ropes as, as a coach you, you were an assistant you were with Whitecaps too you were helping Carol with the, the first team here then you went to Cincinnati What what was it that made you decide that now was the, the time to, to step into the head coach's role with, with Pacific? I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's the most important thing when you step in the role is the people around and behind you. Right? The trust that you feel from having people that support you. And for me, one of the biggest uh, reasons for it is James Merriman, somebody that I know well as a, as a man and also someone I know well as a as a coach, yeah. and we worked together at uh, Whitecaps, and him being here, you know, that um, that helps you. And for me, it was one of the biggest reasons. Together, knowing that one of the owners, we shared a path uh, with Rob Friend, playing against him in Holland, playing against him in Norway, playing against him here in uh, MLS. So, and we shared the same vision of what we see football in Canada and also what we believe in young players. So, And as a young manager, it's always good to dip your feet in an environment where you know that people know who you are as a person and also they know what you can bring to the table. So therefore, I think it was a great fit and also having players that knows me, knows me as a person and I know them as a person before the players. So yeah, those things are the most important things. And you never know, timing is everything they say, and for me, I think it was the right time, because working on the car Robinson, I truly learned a lot about man management and things that how he dealt with it. So going to Cincinnati, I learned again. So everywhere I've been has been a great learning point for me. So, And when you toss into it in the job, you take it, because it's 
painful experiences when I will get better and I will learn. I mean, we talked about you moving from like playing in, into coaching back in the WFC two days, and then I know you took the, the residency to to the playoffs and, and stuff like that. When you look back to those early days here as a coach, what did you learn about yourself and and what your coaching style needs to be from those times? Well, I mean, that's the great thing. I've been fortunate to play the game for a very long time, and I'm fortunate to have great coaches uh, like Chip Stevens and Antire, who both have won things and taught me about a lot of man management and also I've seen young coaches in Caleb Porter and Carl Robinson who who also I've learned from and watching other coaches and see how they do stuff and but my philosophy have always been formed in a very long time, even when I was a player. So I mean just seeing coaches work and fine tune it to the way that I believe is best suited for me and the type of football I want to play. And every day, just be curious about the game and keep learning about the game. Even though you've been a player, that doesn't mean that you you possess you possess the right to be a coach. If you if you understand what I mean. Yeah. So for me, it's about always learning, learning from people. Because anybody that you around in the game of football, you can learn from. And just has to, you have to be a person that is open minded to want to learn. And for me, that's the most important thing. I mean, if, you, if you're talking about how you're wanting your teams to play, I mean, you, you look around the world, even just around MLS, you, you've got former centre-backs like Frank De Boer and you've got uh, Jap Stam and players... Jim yeah, players that were centre-backs and you, you expect automatically, I guess, that they're going to focus on defence first. Is that how you approach the game, or are you more an attack-minded person? Nah, me. I've always the game is what the game is to score goals. Yeah. Before you win, there's nothing changing with the game of football, whether you are a defender or a striker or midfielder. You play to win. Yeah. That is that is the game. It's it's, not, it's just very simple. You play to win, and otherwise, what are we playing? Very true. I mean, you, you look at your the squad that you've built, and I I know some of the players you inherited, some of the, the ones that you've added. I mean, you, you touched on it already. You know a lot of these guys from your time at, at the Whitecaps. Has that made it easier for you to, to go into this role because you, you do already know a lot of the guys and they know you? Oh, yeah, 100%. That's what I said because for me, it's... it's I've been fortunate to have played with some of them. I've been fortunate that some of them have watched me play. And also now I'm fortunate to have coached them prior to coming here. So they know me as a person and I know them as a person. So that so that bond is already set. And now it's also... But still, as a head coach, you have to still prove yourself. Yeah. Right? right? You still have to prove yourself, right? They might know you, they know who you are, but by the end of the game, you still have to prove yourself. And also make them believe, but the buy-in that I have that the pro, that the players have brought, it's been fantastic, and, and 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 they see what I'm trying to teach them, and every day is a learning is a learning curve for me and for them as well. And I, as a as a player, I was, I was somebody that demanded high standard. As a coach, I'm the same. 
I know that I can get the best out of them. For me, that's the most important thing. I mean, your your coaching style, like not even so much how you're going to play, but just you as a coach. Do you see yourself as as the guy that's if a young player is having trouble, you're more likely to put your arm around them more more than just shout at them. No, I mean uh, that's that's what I say. You have to know who the players are as person. Then you know also how to feed them. Yeah, I'm not gonna trade. I'm I'm not gonna treat Victor uh, uh, Blask the same as I'm gonna treat maybe Noah Verhoeven. Yeah, you know. So it's two different players with two different uh, uh, characters. So I have to know how to touch their characters and also to understand and make them understand that Min- the best interest is for them to grow and become better human beings. Therefore, they will become the players. When I think of you, your time here, and I, I think of you like spending time with the young players. I, I know when Fonzie was coming through, you kind of took him under your wing a little bit. I, I remember doing an interview with you at Swan Guard and Fonzie just came and sat down beside us and was listening into the interview and stuff. But you've always come across as a player that enjoys working with the young guys and kind of sharing what you've learned in the game with them. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. They're sponges. I mean, when you have young players... And, and they want to learn, they want to get better. Like, I feel it's my duty because what they have given me for the past 20 years, I have to give it back. But, but, but knowledge is not only for me, it's also helping other players reach their goal, helping other players to, to, to become a better version of themselves, but also to go and play places that I've played and been around. There's, for me, there's, not, there's nothing better than that. When you see you helping young players and they and they take your path and therefore like you talk about Fancy and Fancy will tell you it, it was not only uh, always uh, a tap on the shoulder with Fancy but we went through some learning curve for him as a human being but also him as a player that's why he's Fancy is where he is right now yeah it's a true testament to him but also he knows that what I've tried to tell him I can see it in his game and I can see it in his person but like so that's why when I when I have players like Noah Hoven, Ali Alessandro Hojapor, Matt Bodilsimo, you know, uh, Marco Bustos, Darren yeah. Campbell, those those for me were players that I knew they had the quality, but they were never given the proper chance for them to show it. Yeah. And when you never given a proper chance to show it, and the one place that you could have, which was the uh, White Caps too. If no longer he's there, then it becomes a little bit difficult. You understand? Oh, and that's why yeah. is the CPL a great place for these young players to showcase what they're capable of? Because for a young player to get uh, to to become a good player, you need to play. Yeah, I... you need games. Your games is your best teacher. So we cannot expect young players just to rise and play. Amos Hustle is the greatest example. Oh yeah. If he was not tossed in, would we, would we know if he if he could have kept? Yeah, that's that's unfortunately been the thing with the Whitecaps over, over the last couple of years. And you touched on, on Bustos there. It's like I've known Marco for years since he was about 14 when he first came to the Whitecaps. And it's always been frustrating because I know what he can be as a player. And even last year with Valor, I don't think he played. And I think 
he would admit this himself, he didn't play to what he could do. But the chance to come and work with you seems to have really invigorated him again. And do you feel that you can you can bring the best out of Marco now? I, I, I mean, that's what I say. Like, you have to understand who the person is. Right? If you just look at the player as the player, that is... And I think that's what some mistakes can be done that we people just look at the p- player and not focus so much about the person. Yeah. Because you have to know the person because you have to touch the person. The person must trust you. And many of these footballers, they're looking at somebody they know they can trust. Somebody they know is looking, is, is looking out for them. You know, but that can also play as a father figure or a brother, you know, a confidant. Because... And unfortunately, they've shared me or they see me play. So it's easier for me because they know that what I'm telling them is the, is the truth. I'm not telling them nothing else but what I do believe, what their quality lies, but also what their weaknesses are to get better. Yeah. So for me, that is, and I think they can handle the truth coming from me because it's genuine. Right? It's not, I'm not telling them nothing but help I mean, if we if we look ahead to to this tournament that's coming up at NPI, I mean, all all the clubs like no one really knows to, to what to expect from a lot of them. Cavalry maybe, Forge maybe, because we know what they did last year. But there's a lot of unknown quantities, and it feels like it's very much a level playing field now. And I mean, what are you, what are you expecting? Not just of your team, but of this tournament. is it to to go from not playing just training not even full training for for a lot of this not having any pre-season warm-up games to to all of a sudden you're like in competitive action and from day one it's like you're in competitive football oh yeah no i mean that's the other side like when people speak about sports as well it's those things that they don't see 
it's like for human beings that you're talking about the mental and the physical preparation. I mean, for me, I've always said preparation is the key. Just make sure that you prepare yourself. Obviously, like I said, there'll be some rust. You don't have had no preseason games or anything. So you're going to be rusty, but mistakes going to be made. And those things are part of the game as well. So for me, it's, it's more about just getting the boys focused, uh, mentally, physical. And at that part, honestly, I have to give thanks to our medical staff and uh, with Brandon Watson, uh, Jamie Neal, and... Um, Chris Hinton, who has done terrific uh, job in preparing the players when when the pandemic hit and we couldn't do anything, you know. Yeah. And also, huge huge credit to the boys because they could have easily packed it in. If you understand what I mean. Oh yeah. Because and everybody could have packed it in, but I mean, for them to for them to stick uh, to stick with the routine that we created to work every single day as hard as they did. I mean, for a, for a coach, there's nothing you wish is more than to see players. And and also huge thanks to my assistants, James Merriman, Riley, and Mark Village. All the hours that we put, you know, it's, it's... And now we get to play football and we... All what we want is to see the boys step up and flank. That's yeah. the only thing that we're wishing for. That they can go out there and also do themselves justice in the world, in the way that they I'm truly looking forward to it. I'm curious to see the boys step onto the pitch and just play football, enjoy what they love doing. Oh, yeah. I spoke to, to Jeff Paulus yesterday and we were talking about squad rotation and the fact that the first stage of this tournament, the top four go through. So the pressure isn't on you necessarily that you have to finish first, you have to finish second. How much do you feel squad rotation is going to be key to this so that the team that's the freshest for the next part of the tournament is maybe the team that's going to have the better chance of making it to the final? I mean, like I said, for me, it's... it's <laughs> you're going into a tournament and, like I said, you haven't played a game for a year. Right. It's almost a year. None of, none of the team has played. Training doesn't equal the same as a game. Obviously, the game will come thick and fast. So you need to rotate your players. Your players need to be sharp. And that's why also it has been important that for my group, that's the only group I can speak for, the way that they handled themselves, the way that they worked through this pandemic, I know that every single player is ready. I know that every single player in my squad is ready. Obviously, you're in the bubble, and it's a it's a tough environment. I mean, MLS have shown that the bubbles are, are successful, at least, so that eases your mind in that regard. But obviously, you're, you're stuck in the hotel. You can't go and explore PEI and, and do normal stuff. How much of the mental side of this is going to be key to teams doing well and making sure that the players don't go crazy just sitting in their rooms? Well, I wouldn't say crazy. And I think, again... Due to the pandemic, you can adapt to how the new norms are. Yeah. Because you had to be isolated for yourself. You could see your teammates. You could see nobody. You know, and obviously you're in the bubble. But hey, there's there's there's, there's people who has it uh, worse than us. Very true. Like, there's a people in daily life who has it worse than us. We are staying in the bubble. We get to do what we love, which is playing the game. 
coaching the game of football. All right, we around each other, which is most of the time that we that we spend beside our regular family. You know, yeah. And it's a tournament-like thing, so you go in there with the mindset of you want to do well. It's not any changes. So for me, it's it's you in a bubble, okay. You still have your life. You're still breathing. You're still waking up every single day by the grace of God. Be grateful, right? Use this opportunity to even get to know each other better. Use this opportunity to, to learn new things. Learn new things about your teammates, about the people that are there. You know, be open. And, and I think that we as a group, we see that way, you know, and we adapt to the situation. But that's us. I always say adapt to the environment and the situation you're thrown into because somebody else has it worse than you. Very true. It's always a, a pleasure speaking to you, Pa. I always really enjoy chatting to you. All the best in the tournament. I really hope you do well. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what a, a Pamadou Ka Pacific FC looks like on the pitch. Thank you very much. So do I. So do I. <laughs> so do I myself. And hopefully the boys can do themselves justice, man. That's great. Thanks for, your, thanks for your time today, Pa, and we'll talk soon, I'm sure. All right, Michael. Thank you very much for the call. Take care. Oh, this is my island. Oh, this is my island. From the port on right through the mid till the end of time. Oh, this is my island. Oh, this is my island. We feed the sheep and cut the pizza till the day we die. Yes, that was Pamaduka. 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 He's Ka Dudu. Always a pleasure catching up with Pa. I've really enjoyed my chats with him over the last couple of years, and it's a it's a good appointment I feel for Pacific FC. It might have seemed a little bit out of the box for for some people when the appointment was made back in January, but you're appointing a player that has played all over the world. He's played in Norway, he's played in Sweden, he's played in Holland, he's played in Qatar, he's played in MLS with Portland and the Whitecaps. Coaching experience-wise, he was an assistant at WFC2, he took the residency team a little bit, Carl Robinson appointed him to his staff as well, he was both a scout and an assistant at FC Cincinnati, but this is his first head coaching gig. Listening to him there, I'm excited with what he's going to bring to the team. He's a guy as we kind of touched on with Zach when we were chatting about stuff earlier in the show, that you feel he's going to be a good coach, a good man-manager. He's going to be a guy that kind of puts his arm around players when they need it, but not afraid to bollock them at the same time. He likes working with young players, and that's the modus operandi for Pacific to get all these young players. And he's going to be surrounded by a lot of players that he's known for a number of years now through the Whitecaps. I'm really excited to see what kind of team... Pacific FC is going to be with Pa in charge and what kind of a head coach that he is going to be. We touched a little bit about Fonzie there during the interview and Fonzie wrote one of those kind of Player Tribune articles just talking a little bit about his life and his journey to to being in Bayern Munich and the person from the Whitecaps that he name-checked in that article as being the biggest influence on his career was Pa Maduka. And like Pa talked there about how he gave Fonzie not just playing advice, but life advice as to how to be a man as well. And that has clearly stuck with Fonzie. And Pa still means a lot to him to to this day. So I think Pacific FC's got a a good one there. 
But we're going to head a little bit further east in the next part where we catch up with some guys from FC Edmonton. And we'll be back with that after this. Hey, it's Marco Bustos. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, we had the second of tonight's Three of a Kind songs, another punk classic, this time from 1978 by the band Sham69, and that was Hurry Up Harry. Taken from the band's second studio album, That's Life, it reached number 10 in the UK single charts. So have you worked out what the link is yet? Is it that they're just all really good punk songs? Maybe. That is actually a possible link, but that's not the link that we're looking for. We kicked off part three with Splodginess Abounds and two pints of lager and a packet of crisps, please. We kicked off part four there with Hurry Up Harry by Sham69. What is the link? What is the third song going to be? Find out in part five. Okay, so let's get back to our Canadian Premier League chat now. We've had a look at Pacific FC. Let's move a little bit east, taking a stop off in Alberta and FC Edmonton. Now, the Eddies overall in 2019 had eight wins, eight draws and 12 defeats from their 28 matches. They finished third in the spring season standings, with four wins from their 10 games there, finishing on 14 points, 10 behind spring champions Cavalry FC. But they had a tough go of it in the fall, again only winning four games, this time from 18 matches. That saw them finish second bottom of the fall standings, 18 points, full 20 points behind Cavalry FC at the top and just one point above bottom-placed Halifax Wanderers. We had Jeff Paulus on episode 388 of the AFTN Soccer Show at the end of March, just chatting about the 2019 season and what he was originally looking forward to for the 2020 season, with no one really knowing how long this shutdown was going to last for. There hasn't been a lot of change to the Eddies roster from that 2019 team, Eight players were let go at the end of last season. There's been a few key additions to the roster. Earlier this week, before the the team headed out to PEI, they they made a couple of new additions to the roster. 20-year-old fullback Tariq Mohamed has been added on loan from TFC. 
And they also sign another central defender, Sam Gardner. Kind of shores up the Eddie's defence a little bit. Of course, they're welcoming back Amir Didich, who had been on trial with the Whitecaps earlier in the year, but has gone back now to the CPL. And the Eddies are certainly going to be looking to build on the good stuff that they did achieve in 2019. And they're feeling pretty confident heading into the Island Games with, with what this team can do and what they can achieve there. So I'm going to bring you a little bit of audio now with some of the players and with head coach Jeff Paulus. So we're going to hear my questions to Jeff. We're also going to hear some of the answers from Tommy Amiobi, Amir Didich and goalkeeper Connor James. I suggest chat about some of the aspects of the Island Games and what to expect from the team there. First of all, going a little bit back to the test and having seen what's happened in MLS and through the MLS bubble, has that kind of reassured you to, to know that the bubble does work? Um, yeah, I would say it, it has. Uh, obviously, when you even you look at the different sports uh, in North America, like the NHL as well, it's reassuring to know that um, there's been a lot of measures and protocols that have been put in place uh, to ensure not just the safety of uh, the players and the staff involved, but also the people in that whole city. So that is something that obviously we've been keeping tabs on the MLS to see how things are being going down there. And yeah, we're looking forward, like I said, just getting back out on the field. Yeah, just, you want to say something, Amir? Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, obviously they had their problems at the beginning um, and that was due to these teams not complying and following their... Um, isolation protocols before the trip and I think uh, speaking on behalf of our team we've done a really well, really good job so far in, in making sure that we're uh, sticking to the guidelines and doing what we're doing here properly so that when we get there uh, we're doing our part and it's just a matter of every other team um, doing what they have to do in order to get there and get those tests and get them uh, negative and then hopefully from there everything will be all right which I think it will be. Yeah I, I concur with that you know I have to say I mean when, when this all first started out, I, I don't mind saying I've lost sleep over uh, what this was going to look like and, and, and truly the safety of, um, of the players at this club and, and the staff members of this club that uh, they'll be responsible for once we're away. And, um, but I'm really I'm satisfied. I've seen all the work that's gone in behind the scenes you know, from this, uh, this group of leaders uh, in the CPL. I know that they've, they've put safety. They really have, I have to say, you know, as far as getting there. Um, but what they, what they have set up for us in the hotel – you know, it's going to be safe for the players uh, once we're in PEI. Um, yeah, and then on the flip side, though, I mean, we, we're as a team, you know, we had COVID testing done before it was required as a team, you know, and we also made a mandate, you know, and this was a player's decision, really, in, in cooperation with the staff, that we would get tested every two weeks, regardless of what league rules were, um, because we wanted to be able to look at each other and trust each other and, and go to work and know that uh, we were taking care of each other. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I'm, I'm certainly feel positive that, that this group's done the right thing. Kind of about the tournament, obviously you're all really looking forward to, to getting back to playing again and really excited. I mean, Amir, I spoke to you here in Vancouver back in January. That seems like a lifetime ago when it was like pre-season. And what's it been yeah, like? Oh, I know, it's just crazy. It's like even you, Jeff, I spoke to you, I think it was May, and that seems like about six months yeah, or a year ago. That's right. 
But what's it been like for you these coming these last couple of weeks, just waiting, just to for some kind of announcement, just to have some idea of what was going to happen? Um, it's 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 kind of been a little tough, especially uh, uh, before all this news came of, uh, of the confirmation of the dates we're playing and such. Just because as players and as coaches, it's it's tough to to come into training every day with the mentality uh, knowing that there's such uncertainty. Uh, with whether or not we're going to play or not, and and uh, within these past couple of weeks, knowing when we're going to play, it's been it's been a game changer really in terms of, of the mentality of the guys, and just knowing that um, we're going to be able to play this year and, and able we're going to be able to compete for a championship. So it, it's definitely been uh, really good news for for the league and for us as a team. Yeah, I'll jump in quickly. I think uh, we're actually having a a few comments right after training today saying while we're on our last practice here before we head off to PEI. And um, it was a little bit surreal that it was actually happening because for the last two months or so we've been training and it hasn't been until about a week and a half, two weeks ago that we had a little bit of certainty on the fact that we were going to be playing. Of course, we're all hoping that we are going to be playing all throughout that phase one, phase two, phase three of return to play. But we, we really didn't have any certainty and we weren't really hearing anything from the league with um, a confirmation. So it was kind of tough. You, you would hear rumors, but you didn't necessarily know that it was actually going to happen. So um, it's been really reassuring over the last two weeks and I'm, I'm happy with how all the boys have approached it. How difficult is it going to be for you, I guess, mainly particularly for the players' point of view, to suddenly go from not even playing pre-season games and all of a sudden you're in a tournament, it's a competitive tournament, and from day one you have to be switched on? I think uh, every team's in the same boat here. And uh, we've been training with the mentality of uh, a game environment. And even our inter-squad games, they're they're high intensity and uh, high competition. So I think we're prepared in that sense. And like, like I said, every, every other team is in the same position without preseason games. So uh, we're just going in with the mentality that uh, we're ready. Yeah, and I, and I also feel like when it's game time, it's game time. Um, you can do as much prep work as, as, as you like, um, which obviously makes a big difference. But um, I can speak on behalf of our group that I can say for sure when the first whistle blows that we're going to be ready mentally and physically. So, yeah. Yeah. The toughest thing I can say has been actually keeping the reins on them, you know, the players, because they, they, they want to keep going. And, you know, but because for a while there, we didn't know when that first game was going to be. We only really just um, found out recently um, that it would be, well, we know the first one is August the 13th. They've announced that, I believe. So um, because of that, they, um, you know, for us, we were kind of guessing at when we had to have them ready to go 90 minutes. And so you're, it's a bit of guesswork on the periodization side of things, um, certainly, but, Players are just, I mean, they want to go 90 minutes, you know, every single day if we could, if we would let them. And, um, yeah, so that was a challenge for sure. But, yeah, I mean, I thought today they looked ready, I have to say, in our final practice. So, happy days. The tournament, Jeff, obviously last season, you knew only two teams were going to advance to the, the championship game. But now you've got the different rounds, so you've got a little bit of wiggle room because the top four is going to go through. Is that going to be better for you? Because it does give you the chance if you get off to a bad start, you can still make it right through to hopefully the end. You know, I think it's good for us. I think um, I have to say with um, 
with those group of players that we have at the squad, I think last year's system would be good for us too, to be fair. We've got some high, very high beliefs in this group of players. Um, but where the system is nice, though, is, is, you know, the staff looks at our roster. And, um, and again, you know, the players here, you know, they, they can answer this as well, maybe. But, you know, the staff certainly looks at our roster right now. And we see that we're, we're two players deep in every position, um, you know, on this team. So where you've got an event where you've got to play seven games in a very fast amount of time um, and you have to finish top four, it allows you to be, you know, it allows you to maybe uh, be strategic, you know, to be able to rest some players where I don't think other teams will have that luxury that we have, where we can, you know, we can give a guy, give guys a rest and the player coming in is going to do a great job. And, um, and I think we can stay fresh this way because the key is finishing in the final four. You know, it doesn't matter to be first or second. It's irrelevant, you know, because the second round's around Robin as well. So there's no benefit to finishing one or two. You know, you're going to play each team once. And I think that the team that can successfully maneuver the seven games and be the freshest team um, for the second round will be the successful team. And uh, this is our, our mindset going on as a staff. And, and we feel fortunate with this group of players to be able to do this. I don't know if you know or if you can say anything, but the Canadian Championship, are you expecting that to be played at the end of this tournament or is that still up for discussion? Yeah, those are certainly the rumors that I'm hearing are that. I mean, I know everybody is interested in playing it. Uh, I believe there's an appetite can of soccer to have this done this year, to not have a year without it. Um, you know, my understanding is the three MLS teams are, are coming back and, and the three Canadian teams will play in Canada against each other, you know, if they have any sort of league at all. And uh, if that happens and they're in Canada, yeah, I think you'll see something probably happen after this event um, on that regard. So, yeah, we hope so. We hope so, certainly. Great stuff there from Jeff Paulus, Connor James, Tommy Amiobi and Amir Didich. Aside from the two players I mentioned earlier, there has been eight other additions to the Eddies roster for this 2020 season. Hansen Bokai returned back to the Eddies after a stint in Finland with FC Inter Turku. They added two key signings from the Whitecaps residency as well, both midfielders Anthony Ciceris and Chance Carter. And Peruvian midfielder Raul Tito is going to be an interesting one to watch in this league. But perhaps of all the additions, the, the player that I'm most interested in seeing what kind of impact he has in the CPL is Canadian Kevin Alleman. Now the 26-year-old came through the ranks of Toronto FC before making a move over to Spain with Valladolid. After a couple of years there, he returned to his native Costa Rica to play his club football with a couple of clubs there, Herediano, Belen, and then Costa Rican giant Saprissa, before heading north to the USL for a couple of seasons with Sacramento Republic. It wasn't the happiest of times for Alleman with Sacramento, and he decided that he wanted to get closer to home, signing a deal with FC Edmonton earlier this year. And I noticed a signing that Jeff Paulus was very excited about. He talked about it in our show back in March, just what Alleman can add to the team in terms of creativity, also with experience for, for a number of the younger guys there. So I got a chance to sit down with Kevin on Friday afternoon just to chat about his career so far, his move to Edmonton and what he's looking forward to with the tournament in PEI. I guess first thing I ask you, Kevin, is like, how's the the lockdown been for you? I, I know you were down in Costa Rica when everything started, and 
we tried to get something arranged way back then, but I was told there's lots of like power outages and stuff going on. So what was it like being down there? So um, it was at the beginning. So at first when we got, I think it was like around 20 cases, the whole country locked down. So it was really good at the beginning. And uh, actually Costa Rica was, I think, one of the top countries for, you know, taking care of the of the situation until we started reopening things up and stuff. And uh, by the time it was, I think, before just before coming to Canada, um, we started getting around, I think it was 600, 700 a day, cases a day. So everything was just shut down, everything, um, like the borders were closed and everything. So uh, they even put a, um, a curfew on us. It was uh, from, I think, 7 p.m. till 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. And uh, so that was every day. And on Saturdays and Sundays, it was uh, it was uh, you can't you couldn't go out until unless you had to go to the grocery store. Uh, it was an emergency. So uh, it was pretty bad before coming. And I think until now, it's still the same. So, yeah. But thankfully, you know, um, I got out and yeah. was able to come here. <laughs> yeah. So when did you get to Edmonton then? I got here. Um, I think it was July, July 14th I got here, July, July 14th. Oh, so really quite recent. Wow. Yeah, it was recent and I had to be on lockdown for two weeks. So yeah, of course. And now now you're going into a bubble and everything. Yeah. (laughs) So I mean, mean, we'll have a a little look at your signing for, for FC Edmonton. It's, you've, you've, done a lot in your career I know you came through the youth ranks at TFC and then you were over in Spain for a bit and you've played so much of your time in in Costa Rica but what was it about signing for Edmonton and and coming to the Canadian Premier League at this time of your career that seemed like the the right thing and the right fit for you yeah honestly it wasn't it wasn't uh more of the money just because you know I, I took a big probably more than half of my salary that I was making uh, wherever I was in Sacramento and uh, so it wasn't more because of that I think it was because I wanted to be more closer to the national team and and uh, you know at this point I want to be back on the national team and I think uh, the two years that I spent in USL were really bad for me in my career even though I think I did really well and uh, I, I grew as a player and uh, in a lot of um, in, in a lot of aspects but um, I don't think it was uh, the right decision going to the to the USL, and uh, I think uh, there's a lot of growth that's going on here, and I could be a lot closer to 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 the national team. And I think that's my goal right now is getting back into the national team, and then seeing you know uh, where I could go from there. But uh, my goal at this point in my career is to get back into the national team and to be a, a guy to be called on you know, almost if I can, every national camp, you know, and I have that goal. And I think I know that with my abilities, I can, I can do it. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask you about the national team. So we may as well look at that now, because I know back in the day, there was a lot of chatter. It's like, will you switch to Costa Rica? Will you stay with Canada? Cause you'd played all the, the youth stuff with Canada. Was it a tough decision for you or was Canada always what you were wanting to play for? Honestly, 
Um, after uh, my uh, under 17, uh, you know, that I went to the World Cup um, with Sean Fleming, I think after that, um, I think it was a no-brainer for me. I wanted to stay here in Canada. And um, just because of, you know, everything that the country has done for me and my family. And um, I think just because of that, you know, it was sort of an appreciation for me uh, to the country that, you know, that gave me everything that saw me, you know, uh, grow up in which was after uh, I was 10 years old. And I think it was just, you know, an appreciation for, for you know, everything that's done for my family, which until until this day, my family is, is still here. And, you know, my sisters uh, go to college here. One of my sisters goes to college here. The other one uh, is going into high school this year. So um, I think it's just, you know, because of all of that. I personally, you know, in my off season, I like to go back to Costa Rica just because of the weather. And, yeah. and I have my grandma over there. and uh, but yeah, I mean, my family's still here and, uh, they love it here and I think they don't even want to move back to Costa Rica. So I think it's just because of that, you know, an appreciation. Yeah. I think, uh, an Edmonton or Canadian winter compared to Costa Rica at that time of year. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. There's only one decision you're going to make in that case. Yeah. I mean, exactly. is it, it going to be weird do you feel playing back in Canada again? Because you haven't actually played domestically for club football since 2011 here. I know that was even just at youth level. Does it feel weird being back now and actually playing football? It, I, I don't think it does. I think it would feel weird if I was in Toronto, but at this moment, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not around my family and I'm still, it feels like I'm still, a, you know, aboard at, uh, somewhere that, you know, uh, right. it doesn't feel like home at this time. So, uh, I feel like it's, it, it feels like my job and, you know, I'm still, um, if, if, if I was like in Sacramento or, you know, anywhere else in the, in, in the world. So to me, it doesn't feel weird being back. It just feels like, you know, it's my job and, you know, it feels like another place where I have to work. And if, if I was back with my family in Toronto and I was, you know, going to training every day and, you know, uh, all of that, I think it would, it would feel really weird. Yeah. Because I haven't done that in a long time. So I think that would feel really weird. The, the CPL, I mean, you, you t- touched on your hopes for the national team. I, I don't know how much you got to see of the, the league last year, but when you see guys that were playing in the league getting call-ups to the national team, Carducci, Zator, Borges, guys like that, it's like the league was getting paid attention to by John Herdman. Was that one of the, the factors that made you think, well, if I go there eyes are going to be on it. Yeah, I think it, it was. I think that was a big factor because um, in the USL, there's a lot of Canadians that, you know, are doing well. Uh, you know, Bustos was there for a couple of years, I think. Yeah. And uh, we've had Tyler Pasture is doing really, really well right now with, with this club right now. And uh, and I think we, you know, Canadian players don't get looked at in the U- USL. Not only, not only, you know, Canadian players, but... Uh, even American players, you know, no one uh, from the USL really goes to the MLS or, you know, I thought I didn't know it was like that when I first came into the USL. I thought it would be a lot different, but I was wrong. And, uh, you know, being there and uh, seeing, uh, you know, from last year, I think there was a couple of teams that wanted me in the league and uh, for the for the for the first season. And I didn't think from from my perspective, I didn't think, you know, it was a good idea to move in the first year of, uh, you know, the league season. And um, uh, I was wrong, you know. There was so many people that got called up and and um, 
a lot of talent that you know went overseas and you know and I think uh this year there there could be a lot more than you know what there was last year and a lot of more talents could be seen by the by the national team and you know maybe get called up to to an MLS team or anywhere else you know so I think I think um I think the the league did really well you know for 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 the first year and you know it's too bad all of this happened but I think this second year would have would have been a lot better and you know there would have been a lot of growth in this in this year. Yeah, the timing's kind of not been ideal, I guess. But I mean, I've watched a lot of USL because I covered Whitecaps too when they were out here and commentated on their games and stuff. And from what I've seen in the CPL, the the difference it's negligible. I mean, the the talents there, it's a it's a good league. When you were growing up, though. Could you ever have imagined that there was going to be a domestic league in Canada and you'd have the choice of teams to actually play for? Honestly, I never even thought about it. You know, I, I, I didn't think there was ever going to be, you know, a league, a first division league here. And, you know, I thought it was always going to, just because, you know, uh, you know, in every league, uh, you know, NHL or um, uh, what other league is it, the NBA. And, you know, we have our clubs in, 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 in with the, the, the American League so there has never really been a first division you know for basketball uh, for basketball teams you know here in Canada where for NHL just a Canadian league uh, so I, that never really um, crossed my mind that you know Canada could come to that point of having our own league and uh, you know it really surprised me when when it happened. Back in the day the Whitecaps traded for your MLS rights do they still hold that or does do they expire or if you wanted to go MLS do the Whitecaps have to agree to to trade you I I don't know how that works now Yeah yeah honestly I I until this day I have no idea how that works I have no idea um I haven't tried talking to to Vancouver or to Toronto or uh to any of the teams but that's a good question because Yeah <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what would happen if I were to go, you know, to a, to an MLS team if, you know, Vancouver still has my rights. I don't know how that works. I mean, were you ever close to, to even joining Vancouver? Like, did they try and sign you? Yeah, they. so when I when my rights were traded, uh, they flew me out to Vancouver and I was there for, I think it was uh, three weeks around there. I was there with my agent at the time. and um, But uh, that was before going into the World Cup. So what I told Vancouver was, you know, let's wait and 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 see what happens, and um, uh, I'll see what happens with 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 the World Cup, see how I play and everything. So uh, after the World Cup happened, that's you know when I got a couple options in Europe, and you know I never really uh, thought about Vancouver. I thought you know the best option would have been Europe. So, uh, but they did. They they reached out to me, and you know they had me over there in Vancouver. I saw the city. Um, I saw their facilities. They took me around the facilities and I met everybody in, in the offices. And, uh, you know, it was really nice. Yeah. Let's look ahead then to the to the games that's coming up. I mean, you, you signed so long ago and it's like you've just been dying to get on the pitch. I'm sure we spoke to a few of the, the guys yesterday. I, I You're just itching to, to get started. Yeah, especially for me. I mean, the boys I've been training for, you know, um a while now but I've, i got here uh three weeks ago four weeks ago so i've been training for two weeks and i worked so much over there back in costa rica and here so 
I'm just excited to 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 leave tomorrow and to get to work. Yeah, I can't wait. To be honest, I can't what, what, wait. Oh, I can't imagine. It's like I think all the fans as well are just really wanting to to see the league back going again. I, I spoke yeah. to to Jeff about you not long after the signing and like what he was expecting for you and he feels with your experience I mean you're still young but you're very experienced and you can bring a lot to this team what do you feel you can bring to the team and what do you see your role being with Edmonton this season yeah um I think uh from training you know I think um just uh you know uh I think my the I don't know how to say the spirit that I have to to want things, you know. I think I can pass that on to to the guys, you know, just because um a lot of the guys are young here on the team, and you know maybe they haven't uh, played uh anywhere else, and and I think um you know the spirit that you get from from wanting to win a game or from wanting to to train hard and um you know to want the quality at a at a certain level that you know uh, requires to be a championship team. I think. Uh, uh, you know, I can bring that to the team and that's what I've been trying to do. And um, I think most of all, that's 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 what I've seen, you know, from my two weeks at training and um, and from being here. You know, we have, I think, uh, you know, I think this is the first group where I feel old because I've always been, you know, a young guy. So right now I got to take a different type of uh, a role on the team, you know, but yeah, I feel there's a lot of young young players and good talent on the team. So I think I, I need to step up to, you know, a different role now yeah. that I'm getting, you know, I just turned 20, 26 on March. So I have to take a different role on the team, which which is good for me. It helps me out in my career. And, you know, uh, for the long run, I already know that, you know, I have to start taking an, uh, a different uh, role on, on on the team that I'll be on, you know. I was just so going to ask you that because I just lo- I was just looking up on Wikipedia just now how old you were because like we've been talking about you for years and it's like you're you're still just twenty six and it must be weird because you are like the old guy in the team in some regards but I mean it's a good leadership role for you going to somewhere then like PI it's going to obviously be new to everyone no one's been in this kind of bubble environment that, amongst any of the players. I'm sure there were concerns, but when you saw how successful the MLS one was once everyone got in the bubble, did that kind of reassure you that everything was going to be safe? Oh, yeah. I think there was no doubt in my mind that it was going to be safe. I think uh, Canada, <laughs> I think Canada um, uh, usually waits, sees how it turns out in the U.S., and makes it better. <laughs> so I think uh, you know there was no doubt in my mind that this is going to go well. I, I think so. I think so. It's just, you know, the things, uh, you know, the precaution that Canada always takes in everything, you know, uh, in sports and, you know, just in general. I think, uh, you know, everything will be fine just because we always kind of sit back and see how the U.S. does it and what we can improve just because I've lived in the U.S., you know, and I know yeah. how things are. And, you know, Canada just kind of, you know, sees how it goes and how we can improve it. And they always do. They always make it better. So. It's going to be tough for all the teams, but you're all kind of going at it in the same way. But how hard is it for you as a player to suddenly go from just training and not even like hard training for this whole time to all of a sudden flick a switch, you're in competitive games from the start 
and you've not had any warm-up matches, no pre-season friendlies, nothing like that. Is it, is it easy to, to get up to that level and that speed that you need right away? Yeah, honestly, in my, in my case, I think, you know, I'm always ready and um, I'm always, even in training, I mean, I'm living with Sean right now and Sean Fleming is our second coach and I think he can tell you, you know, that I'm not lying and I think, you know, every training session I, t- I treat it like, you know, it's a game and I go out and fight and, 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 you know, I just always want to get myself ready. I'm always thinking, you know, even when I'm outside of the soccer pitch, I'm always thinking what uh, could be the best thing for me, you know, in terms of training and everything. So I think, um, I think um, in my case, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always a competitive guy and I just have that in the back of my head. So um, I think it won't be easy. I'm not saying it'll be easy, but I think, in my case, I think I'm ready, you know, that's why I prepare myself every day too, you know, and I always keep that in the back of my head, especially from when we found out that, you know, our first game is going to be uh, on the 15th. I always just kept that in, in the back of my mind. And, you know, we're now uh, a week and a little bit away from the game. So I got to treat it as, you know, we're in a, in a, in a week away from the game, you know, and when, when you have that, you know, it's you have a little rush and you're always thinking of it, you know, you're always you're always thinking of the game. So obviously you've not trained that long with your teammates so far, but from what you've seen, and it's gonna be kind of the same for all the teams, because you're gonna feel each other out in the early stages. But what what have you made of your team so far? Do you feel that this is a team that can go far in this tournament? Yeah, um, well, I haven't, you know, seen any of the teams how they play or you know, so I think uh, from what I've seen, I think it is a team that uh, that could go far. I mean, I think it's a championship team. and um, But we will see. We'll see on our first game and, and adjust things that we need to adjust. I think it's going to be very hard because there's going to be a lot of mistakes being done. And you can't really tell, um, you know, if, if, if um, this team really in the long run could have been a potential... Uh, a championship team just because during the whole season you know you make mistakes and you fix it for the next game and you have you know 30 games or um 20 games to fix things in the in the in the in the in the long run of the year but here is everything has to be quick so you have to you know um uh, manage uh learn how to manage all those things and learn quick because if you make a mistake this game you know the next game is uh, it's three days away so you got to you got to adjust and, you know, you you got to keep your mind active. I think I think that's it. So I think uh, this whole tournament is just going to be about mistakes and, you know, taking care of uh, those little details that, that, you know, make those mistakes. So I think um, it'll be a very different kind of setting, obviously, but you just can't tell if uh, the team is, um, you know, in a, in a long season would, would have the same... Yeah. That's true. I mean, I just the same outcome is what I meant. It's going to be lonely. Obviously, you're like locked away. You can't you can't go and explore PEI. Or you've not got the outside world to go and explore. How, mentally, how are you going to keep switched on and not go stir crazy? I think that that that's going to be hard. Yeah. yeah, especially just because on away trips, you know, you're two three days in a hotel and you're already going crazy. You already want to go back, but. I think players are just going to have to be really focused and mentally ready. I mean, everything is going to be about, you know, soccer while you're there. You're just, that's all that's going to be in your mind, right? I mean, you're there for 40 days and I think you, 
I mean, we're here. We get paid for this, you know, and and I mean, we got to be professional about this. So we just got to be uh, switched on and, and be professional about it. I think that's that's the only way I can describe it. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. Good luck out there in PI. Hope you don't go too stir crazy. And yeah, good luck. <laughs> Hopefully you're in it for the long time and we'll, we'll speak to you in a few weeks. Steady Eddie. Steady Eddie. Steady Eddie. Steady Eddie. Kevin Allen in there. As I mentioned before the chat, really looking forward to seeing what he can do with the Eddies this season. He's really looking to get himself back in the Canadian national team picture, has four senior caps to date. And I think being in that environment in Edmonton, under Jeff Powless, Sean Fleming that he knows so well from his youth days, I think we're going to see a kind of invigoration of Allen's career and I think it is going to move him back into what we expected from him. And it is also going to be interesting to kind of find out if the White Caps do still have his rights. I imagine that they will, but that is something that I will check up on. He's looking to kind of put himself in the shop window, not just for Canada, but also with a bigger move. So who knows what will happen in that regard. And the Island Games Tournament is certainly going to be very key for Alleman and a a number of players really in the CPL that might be looking to, to move on to bigger and better things. But that is it for our CPL chat for this episode. So we've covered Pacific FC and Edmonton in this episode. As I mentioned at the start, we are hoping to cover some of the other teams as well over the the coming weeks. So we'll be bringing you a few more interviews from other teams around the league. Hope you've enjoyed the CPL flavour we've brought to this episode. But we're going to be back after the break and turning our attentions to Major League Soccer. Because not only is the MLS's back tournament wrapping up on Tuesday... The return of teams to home markets was also revealed by Don Garber on Saturday morning. And we're going to be back chatting about all of that after this. Hey, I'm Brett Levi's and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the final part of tonight's AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part was the final selection of tonight's Three of a Kind tunes. Another punk classic from 1982 this time. Peter and the Test Tube Babies, banned from the pubs, from their EP of the same name. You can also find that track on their debut studio album, Pissed 
and proud. Did you work out what the link was? We kicked off part three with Splodginess Abounds, two pints of lager and a packet of crisps, please. We kicked off part four with Sham69 and Hurry Up Harry. And kicking off this final part, Peter and the Taste Tube Babies, Banned from the Pubs, and yes, the link was pubs. In the first tune, lead singer Max Splodge is trying to get served in a pub and buy a drink, and the other two is all about pub culture. So if you got that, congratulations. If you didn't, it was an easy one, how not? But we'll be back next week with another three of a kind. So we're going to get back to the football chat now, and we're turning our attentions away from the Canadian Premier League and into Major League Soccer. The MLS is back tournament wraps up on Tuesday evening with a final that I don't think many, any, would really have predicted. You may have guessed one of the teams in it, but I'm not sure you would have got the other. Portland Timbers take on Orlando City. Both teams have looked really strong in the tournament, and I think they probably do deserve to, to make it into the final. Of course, there wouldn't really be a, an MLS final without one of the Whitecaps Cascadia rivals being in it. And it's happening again in 2020. The Timbers are in an MLS final. When, oh when, will it be the Whitecaps' turn? Will we ever see it? Well, I think you have to hope that we will one day, because without hope, football fans have very little. And I think Orlando City are are probably a good example of how teams can turn things around very quickly in the league. The Purple Ones have been in MLS since 2015, and not once have they finished in the playoff positions. They made another managerial appointment in December, their fifth coach in the MLS era, the experienced Oscar Perea, heading back to MLS after a stint down in Mexico with Tijuana. He's coached Colorado, he's coached FC Dallas. Always a coach that I had a lot of admiration for. And what he's done with Orlando City in the short time that he's been there has been absolutely phenomenal. Yes, you can say they've had a little bit of home field advantage because of the heat and being used to Florida weather, the thunderstorms and everything that goes with that. But they still have to do it on the pitch, and they certainly have. And you've seen the growth of the team during the tournament. And that that was something I got a chance to ask Oscar Perea after that semi-final win with Minnesota. Just how this group has changed over the course of of the tournament. And and here's what he told me. The the start of the tournament a month ago, it, it seems so long ago now. But when you're looking back at that team in that first game and the comeback win to where the team stands now, what are the biggest differences you've seen from the team over the last four weeks? The difference is that we're growing. The difference is that we have a compromise with this idea. The difference is that the boys are engaged each other with uh, uh, with the purpose, with, with, with the system and uh, with the objectives. And, and then they're training hard. I think the talent is there, and 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 now we're gelling, and we're getting results as a as a as a result of of all those things that are happening in the field. Oscar Perea there, and they face a tough task against Portland in the final, but we've said they faced a task tough before over the course of the tournament. You have to feel Gio Savarese's men are heading into the final as favourites, but. I would not write Orlando off, and I'm actually going to give my tip for Orlando in this one. 
We'll see how it all plays out. Kickoff is scheduled for 5.48pm Pacific Time on Tuesday evening. The game will be live on TSN. As I said when we were chatting to Zach earlier, I've really enjoyed this tournament. Possibly a lot more than I thought I was going to. Having the chance to see all the games on TSN have helped. I've seen teams that normally, if I had to go and watch them zone or whatever, I wouldn't be going to watch them. I might watch the highlights, I might not, especially for the Eastern teams. So it's been good to see them. MLS is back, and it's not going away. As Don Garber revealed to media on Saturday morning, after days of rumours, the MLS regular season returns to play on Wednesday, August 12th, so the day after the MLS is back tournament final. And it's kicking off with the first of three matches between FC Dallas and Nashville to make up for the games that they didn't get to play in the group stages during the tournament when they were both sent home for positive COVID tests. There's going to be games on the 12th and the 16th, and then the rest of the league kicks in. Each club is expected to be playing 18 regular season games in a phased approach, with the final day of the regular season scheduled for November 8th. After that, 18 clubs will advance into the MLS Cup playoffs. There'll be 10 from the East, because Nashville are moving into the East to make up 14 teams. And then there'll be 8 from the West, who will be down to 12 teams for the rest of the season. So three quarters of the teams in the West are going to make the playoffs. If you're one of those teams that don't make that, you're not a very good team. And you really don't want to be one of those four teams that misses out, I have to say. Now... The return is going to be in two phases. The initial phase, teams are going to be playing between six and eight matches against local rivals. So, for example, in the Western Conference, you've got games between the two LA teams, Seattle, Portland, San Jose and Real Salt Lake. That is to cut down travel, cut down risk of exposing yourself to COVID. And they'll be doing that by teams flying in and out on the same day that the games are played and they'll just be going from the plane to the stadium and then back home again. That does seem like it's going to negate the risk, but then that in itself could be negated by the fact that Major League Soccer, where local procedures and state authorities and CDC recommendations allow, will be allowing fans to attend matches, which I find frankly horrific, stupid, and it's like they've not learned anything at all from what's been happening in the USL, where a spate of teams have come down with positive COVID tests and matches have had to be called off. We've seen positive tests in baseball as well. It's working best where there's been a bubble. MLS is back, the CPL tournament that's coming up. But MLS want to be in a position where fans can attend games. I'm going to play you a little bit shortly from Don Garber's press conference on Saturday where he touches on all these things. And basically, the attitude is, we've got to try it. If it doesn't work, we'll address it after that. By that time, the harm could very well be done. Someone could have COVID and pass it on to a family member that is in an at-risk group. Or worse still, get it really bad, have a condition maybe themselves that they don't know about, or do some long-term damage to their lungs. I just think it's frankly ridiculous to be looking to do this just now. And things get even more farcical for the Canadian teams. So the rumours that we heard and talked about a couple of weeks ago are true. The Canadian teams, with the border still being closed, will be playing each other in a series of round-robin games. 
Vancouver will play three matches against Montreal, three against Toronto. The hope is that those games will see each team play three matches in their home stadium. But there's a lot of rumours floating about that even that is not going to be possible. We'll hear Don Garber talking a little bit about that in the conference call in a sec, where he kind of indicates that they're still having issues trying to get the teams the authority to even do training right now. So there seems to be a lot of stuff up in the air. It was announced in the press release that Major League Soccer is continuing to work with the league's three Canadian teams regarding plans to continue the regular season. More details on schedules, etc. for the Canadian teams will be announced in the near future. The expectation is the border will not be open, even if they are able to get those games done by September 14th, and they're going to be expected to relocate down to the US. There was a report came out on Sunday morning that Toronto is already looking at playing games out of New York Red Bull Stadium in New Jersey. Glass City revealed during the week that it looks like the Whitecaps are considering playing their games out of Portland. All absolutely farcical. I won't go into that too much just now. I know we're running short of time. We've had a busy show. We're going to delve into that a lot more in the next episode of the show once a few more things are known. Once I've had a chance to speak to Mark DeSantis and Axel Schuster about it. But for now, I want to bring you the most pertinent points, questions and answers from Don Garber's press conference on Saturday morning. It's a 44-minute press conference. I've got it down to about 14 minutes for you here. So here's Don Garber. We are the league. You're entering into... uh into this new phase um you look at what's happening with baseball and in some cases with uh the usl as well what what makes you think maybe you know what, what's your argument against the adage of quitting while you're ahead after a very successful <laughs> uh you, you know jeff I, you, you know i don't think listen it, you know quitting is never an option think of all the challenges that mls has had throughout its, its history. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I never uh, believed, and I know our, our owners and staffs never believed in, in, uh, in quitting uh, when we're ahead, right? And we've not been ahead a whole lot, right? So I think in this case, Jeff, you know, we, we believe it's important to uh, get back to uh, doing what it is that we're able to do successfully in Orlando, and that's get our players on the field and start to engage with our fans. And there were enormous challenges in Orlando and there was risk involved in Orlando and it wasn't easy. As you know, we had challenges in the beginning, but just managing it day to day was difficult. Uh, So while we're mindful of the challenges of getting back into markets that other leagues have experienced, uh, there are a handful of things that I think we learned that I am hopeful will help us. First is our players knew in real time very, very early Uh, how challenging it is, uh, how important it is to follow medical protocols, and what could happen if you don't. What happens if you don't is you test positive and you go into isolation. Uh, And that is disruptive to your personal life, your family life, and certainly it's disruptive to uh, what it is that you do for a living. The second is that I think that we've learned uh, the, uh, some of the cadences of testing and some of the challenges that you need to face in terms of decision making. Uh, And as I finished with, 
we've accepted the fact that uh, we're going to have challenges. And I think we're all dealing with this in our country and we're dealing with this throughout the world. And I think this is something that has become a new normal for, for all businesses. Restaurants are coming back, but restaurants are coming back outdoors. Uh, that's the new normal uh, in most cases. So uh, what we're doing here is, is getting it started. Uh, we believe we have a good plan. Uh, we believe our players and our staff are focused on adhering to our protocols. And if we're able to do that, uh, we ought to be able to get our games in. And if we can't do that in a way that's safe uh, uh, and uh, one that's ensuring the health of our players, then we'll have to address it. And if it doesn't work, then we won't move forward uh, uh, after that period of time. Well, uh, congratulations on, on the tournament. I think you, you proved uh, that the uh, uh, protect the bubble concept really works and you guys made that work. But I'm curious to follow up on Steve's question. When you made the decision to uh, suspend play on March 12th, there had been in the U.S. there had been 38 deaths and 1,323 infections. We're coming back next week, five months later, and, and there's 60,000 infections a day. And to, uh, overnight, there was a death every 70 seconds with COVID. So if things were bad enough to stop five months ago, why are they okay to come back now? Especially, you know, you're talking about having fans in some stadiums and stuff. Uh, infectious disease people say, experts say this is not a good idea. Why, why do you think it is? Kevin, yeah, I think it starts with, you know, our, our infectious disease uh, doctors and those that are working closely with us and work closely with us in Orlando uh, have uh, uh, supported the protocols that uh, have been put into place. And if those protocols are followed, uh, then we will be able to protect uh, the health and safety of our players and our staff. So I don't think it is, uh, I don't know how to respond to why we made the decision then versus now. Uh, we made the decision to go to Orlando at a time when uh, nobody had any sense that the bubble concept would work. And I think right now uh, we are confident in uh, what protocols have been put into place. And as I've said, if it doesn't work, then, uh, then we don't go forward. So I, I don't think life can stop. Uh, and uh, as we start, and I, I'm not quite sure what, uh, what other industries are doing to think, or other leagues are doing to think about its relationship to the decision then versus the relationship to the decision now. Uh, I'm confident that we have a good plan. I'm confident in our players adhering to that plan. And uh, if it doesn't uh, work well, then we'll address it at that time. My question is about, about fans in the stands. Um, you know, I know that you made just kind of a general statement that uh, some markets may be able to have some fans in the stands and others may not. Based on what you know so far, I mean, are you expecting most, some, just a few, and, and how will those determinations be made? And what, you know, how, many, how many markets do you really think will be able to have fans in the stands? Well, again, that, that really is dependent on the individual states, Michelle. So there are a number of states in our country that are allowing limit, limited number of fans to sports events today, right? And in, in those uh, states where we have clubs, uh, that have an interest, and not all of our teams do, but those clubs that uh, are interested in welcoming fans where their states allow, we will consider it after they submit a plan. And that plan is following the guidelines of our ID doctor and, uh, and following the, uh, the protocols uh, that, uh, that, that have been established by the states and by the CDC. 
So it's important to say that any plan needs to be in accordance with the CDC guidelines and with the state guidelines. And in uh, the event that it passes that, then we will consider it. No uh, uh, plan has been approved uh, to date. Uh, that process has just started. I don't anticipate that it is going to be a lot of markets in phase one, uh, but that, uh, that process really uh, is gonna continue, I think, as uh, more and more states either decide to uh, allow fans for sports events and some states that uh, have decided to allow them might change their mind. Uh, but we're gonna follow the lead of the local authorities in the CDC. Given the, given the current state of the pandemic in this country and the way that the issue has been politicized, are, are you really confident that the local restrictions and the CDC guidelines are gonna do enough to protect the fans in the stands? And I'm also curious at this stage, why, why, is fans, why are fans in the stands acceptable to the league? Well, again, Jeff, uh, as I, I've stated before, uh, if, if, if there is a state that has uh, uh, laws or guidelines that have been uh, put into place that are already allowing fans to attend events, we will consider it from our teams, assuming that they are creating a protocol that is in accordance with those guidelines in the CDC, right? There are teams that there are leagues, as you know, that are uh, uh, are allowing fans and sports that are allowing fans. So we believe that it is smart for us to uh, consider it. Uh, so, and, and not take the decision at this point uh, to uh, have a blanket uh, uh, rule to prevent it from happening. I will say that uh, clubs need to submit their plans and those plans need to be in accordance with those guidelines uh, in order for us uh, to give them the nod uh, to go forward. So that's the best way that I could, uh, could answer that. I, we're not looking at this from a political perspective, Jeff. I mean, we've got to make a decision that is the right decision for our clubs and for the league, and we're not making those decisions driven by politics. Commissioner, is there any way that you can go a little bit more into details about what's going on right now in Canada? Um, is there a scenario in which Canadian teams move down to a, a site somewhere in the United States? Uh, how far along are those discussions? And also, is there a scenario in which, just like Nashville and Dallas in Orlando, um, Montreal, Toronto and Vancouver are excluded from uh, ending the season in MLS? Thank you very much. Thank you. I mean, there, there is no plan whatsoever to exclude uh, Canadian teams from continuing to play. You know, we are working in real time, uh, to uh, get uh, first approval for our Canadian clubs to return to begin training. Uh, and that is something that we hope can happen soon. And then it is a, uh, a follow-up uh, process to get uh, approval on overall return to play in Canada, which would be uh, the three clubs playing against each other north of the border within the country. So intra-country play. And then uh, sometime thereafter, and hopefully we'll be able to receive that uh, approval uh, in time and satisfying whatever their questions are and concerns that they have, uh, that we could uh, uh, receive uh, approval for what the future of that might be, you know, in phase two. And, and that's just work uh, that has not yet been completed. So the first phase is getting them to return to train. The second phase is getting them to our uh, 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 approval for them to play against each other uh, up north of the border in Canada. 
you've mentioned obviously following local authorities and um, you've acknowledged that there, there could be issues already with the return to play in markets as we've seen with Major League Baseball and USL. Um, why add the element, even the potential element of fans, where, where you could have – you're introducing new potential issues to what will already be a, a challenging return to play in local markets? Why not follow Major League Baseball's lead and, and play in front of empty stadiums regardless of local government? Well, again, Paul, I, I, I'm hesitant to even talk about the other leagues. Their plan was developed many, many, many months before uh, where we are today, right? So I don't know what they would have decided to do uh, if they were going to develop their plan and launch it today. As you know, uh, other leagues are going to return to play in the fall uh, with a, fan, a plan for fans. And that's not just the NFL. It's all leagues are looking to get back in some way uh, to have some level of fans if it's in accordance with state uh, guidelines and the CDC. You know, at the end of the day, our industry is one that, you know, has fans as a big part of what makes our sport work. Uh, our fans want to support their clubs. And if they're permitted to attend sports events uh, in other sports or in other activities, uh, we are uh, willing uh, to work with our clubs, if they're again abiding by those guidelines, uh, to see if we could have them attend our games. So you know, playing matches with fans local in, in local markets is a step towards some sense of what the new normal uh, in sports is going to be, and we have to start. We've got to give it a try. And the best thing that I could say is we're not sitting here today saying that we have all the answers. Uh, we're not saying that uh, what we're going to do is uh, uh, something that's not going to have issues. If we have issues, we'll deal with them. Uh, but we believe it makes sense for us to give it a try. That's the best way I could answer that. Just a, another question, really, re regarding the Canadian side of things. Now, Vancouver's obviously in the Western Conference. If they're playing games against teams in the Eastern Conference within Canada, what would then happen in phase two because they would be at a competitive disadvantage with not playing their Western Conference rivals? Yeah, so I, I think it's pretty clear to all of us now that we're going to have uh, a season that's going to have a lot of, of competitive balance issues. Uh, you know, and nobody's asked this yet, but if we have to postpone a match or cancel a match and we're not able to reschedule it, we're going to have to go to uh, applying uh, the points per match as opposed to total points in determining how we're going to play our playoffs and, uh, and qualify uh, for, uh, for those playoffs. Uh, it's similar to what we did in 9-11 or after 9-11 when we postponed games there. Uh, so clearly there are going to be some competitive balance issues uh, for the remainder of the 2020 season. With regard to uh, you talked about the players, uh, you know, uh, taking the protocol seriously. Uh, I was curious if they're how the league has communicated to the teams, given the issues in Major League Baseball, about uh, players, coaches, staff taking the protocol seriously, um, adhering to social distancing. Um, are there any potential penalties if, in the event that uh, a team is found not to have done that? Just curious how you're hoping to maybe enforce that with uh, with with some measures beyond just hoping the players are on their best behavior? So it, it's a good question. It's one that we are uh, in contact with the MLSPA uh, about. So those discussions are, uh, are going on as we speak, and uh, we should have something complete 
uh, before the start of the season, uh, the restart of the season uh, with the Dallas-Nashville game. So some stuff from Don Garber there, just talking about MLS's plan to return to play, what it means for the Canadian teams, and a lot more as well. As you heard there, the basic attitude is, we've got to try it and see if it works, and if it doesn't, we'll take it from there. Like I said before we played it, by that point, the horse has already bolted. So many media on the call asking why they think it's sensible to allow fans in. And then from the answers, it's like what your mum used to tell you. If someone jumped off a bridge, would you do it? No, I wouldn't. But because other leagues are trying this, they feel that they've got to try it as well. Hopefully the fan aspects will get turned down by the proposals and common sense will prevail that they should be played in empty stadiums. Games played with home fans also gives a competitive disadvantage to the away teams that are visiting and more risk for people that's in the stadium, fans, players those that have to man all the operations for the stadium as well. I can't imagine that the players are very happy about this. It's going to be interesting to see if the MLSPA does make any statements on it, if any players speak out against it, if any players refuse to play and choose to opt out of the season. We saw it with the Whitecaps down in Orlando. There was a number of players didn't make it down for a number of reasons. If the plan is to travel around Canada first and then relocate to the US, I don't see the likes of Lucas Cavallini suddenly having a change of heart and deciding that he wants to be part of this. And any Whitecaps player that decides to pull out and not play this season, they have my full support. If the Whitecaps stood up and said, right, we're not putting up with this, we're not relocating to the US, we're out for the rest of the season, they have my full support for that as well. You know it's not going to happen. It would be really bad optics for the leak. There's going to be a lot of pressure, I'm sure, put on all the Canadian teams to play. Frankly, it's ridiculous. I'm very angry about this. There's a lot of emotions going through me, but the overriding one is anger, frustration and just disappointment that they're not seeing common sense and are pushing ahead with this plan. And there's a lot more that we can delve into the ins and outs of that. I'm going to do that in the next show, though, with Zach and Steve and maybe a couple of other guests as well. Just a little bit more football talk before we kind of wrap things up. There's been some strong rumours in the last couple of days that Inbom Wong is going to be moving on from the Whitecaps, heading over to Russia. Hope it's true. He really needs to get out the Whitecaps and the Whitecaps really need to get a more creative and successful DP into his position. Of course, attracting a, a DP to the Whitecaps just now may be difficult. How do you sell that proposition to him? Yeah, you're joining a Canadian team. We're not really sure where we're going to be playing. We might just be playing teams regularly in Canada for a little bit. And then we might have to move to the, to the US and leave your family behind for a few weeks. Not an easy sell there, uh, I think you'll find. But I'm sure there's a lot more to come out in the coming days uh, about the schedule, players, just everything to do with this return to play. I hope for the best. I fear the worst. We'll see what happens and we'll talk a lot more about it in next week's show. So that is about it for this week's episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. But we can't go without bringing you this week's wavelength. 
Now we've had quite a, a punky feel so far to the music that we've played in the show, so I thought I'd bring the mood and the tone down a little bit with a, a lovely song by English female singer-songwriter Emma Townsend, eldest daughter of the Who's Pete Townsend. Now she's a writer and a musician, and this song is her debut single from way back in 1998. This is Five-A-Side Football. Guys, the people are standing on the outside Chanting all together and screaming We're on the inside pretending we are Something in the air we're breathing And it's all mixed up because I'm losing my place They're banging on the windows of the cars All those pretty faces made up against the glass Like people in pickle jars
The lovely vocals of Emma Townsend there with her 1998 single, Five-A-Side Football. Hope you enjoyed that one. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. That's it for us. We'll be back soon with another packed episode. Until then, you can give me, Michael McCall, a follow on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Give us a follow on Instagram at AFTN Soccer. And subscribe to our YouTube channel, AFTN Canada. Turn on notifications, watch the videos. We're hopefully going to be bringing out some more videos over the coming weeks. So if you subscribe and turn on notifications, you'll know exactly when they go up on the site. There's a lot of football to come in the coming weeks and months as well. CPL's Island Games kick off on Thursday. We're looking forward to that. Hope you are too. But until next time, thanks for listening, take care, and mourn the caps and the Island Games. Bye everyone. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Mm-hmm.